The views and opinions shared by They Might Be Toxic hosts, guests, or sponsors are those of each contributor and do not necessarily express the official view of the brand. We are not doctors, and this podcast should not be mistaken for therapy. Nothing expressed in this content is intended to malign or harm any party or person. We are simply here to discuss and dissect our toxic relationships and to learn about yours. Welcome to a long overdue episode of They Might Be Toxic. In this episode, my friend Joey Ely joins me and we have a great discussion about life, death, healing, grace, and everything in between. Welcome to the podcast. Today on the podcast, I have my friend Joey. Joey, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is uh, Joey. Um, I met Maria through FLFE and uh, I'm uh, basically I've been involved with health and wellness, um, spirituality and art for a long time. I have some certificates with the Czech Institute, which is Corrective Holistic Exercise Kinesiology. Um, so I've been involved with that field for a long time and, um, I've dealt with, a a lot of debilitating illness on my own end, which is what prompted me to go through and study everything that I could to be able to address those issues within myself and, um, and then hopefully use it in the future to help others. And I guess I've already used it to help others. Um, it would be my family and friends. So, um, yeah, with that, that's, that's, that's pretty much sums it up. So nice. Well, and I know, I mean, even just with your knowledge of like human design and our different, like mutual knowledges and understanding of certain spirituality concepts, I always learn things from you every time we get on the phone. So I thought it would be really fun just to have just kind of an open conversation about all the things. Cause I know we've, we've kind of both explored and it's crazy that I did not know this, but I know you're, um, in, you've been into the functional training for quite a while. I know my niece is a trainer, but I didn't realize that she's a functional trainer and she totally is. Um, I think she works for, um, what's that place called? Is it F45? I'm not sure. I can't so- think of it, but it's a chain of, of, um, it's a chain of gyms that do functional wellness. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of funny that like, I didn't even notice, but that you guys have the exact same interest. And uh, oddly, I was just on a date and the person I was on the date with was totally, he was asking me about that. Like if I knew of a functional trainer and he was just getting into it and getting into all the biohacking stuff of, you know, sleep and managing what you eat and all the fun things that you do when you're, when you're healing things. Yep. Yep. Yeah. The the body is a, is an interesting thing and it's a, it's a means um, it's almost like, it's like a map almost. Um, and it will lead you to who you truly are, which is beyond the body, which is spirit. So it's kind of an interesting dynamic, how you can, uh, find your spirit through your body. And that's something that's been very apparent for me. Um, the body is one of the biggest teachers, so it will teach you spirit and it teaches through pain. And it also teaches through, you know, pleasure. And so those times when you feel peaceful in your body, um, that's when your spirit emerges, you know, and then other times when you feel pain, that's essentially your spirit teaching you to not, you know, that's God guiding you to not do whatever things you're doing. Um, and at a certain token, pain serves a purpose too. It's, it serves a purpose to, you know, it's like almost like a price that we all have to pay at some point or another in eternity where you have to learn pain so that you can appreciate 
you know, its opposite, which is love or, you know, all those sorts of things. So, well, um, and not even just in that regard, but it's funny because, you know, of course, I know both of us listen to quite a few podcasts and I was listening to this great episode of uh, the Huberman Lab podcast, which I love, you know, neuroscience and biohacking. And the the thing about the human body is that without any stress, it goes into entropy. And there was just a really interesting discussion about productive stress. And sometimes, you know, we tend to forget that if everything is pleasure and easy, sometimes we can't get out of our own way. And in this particular episode, they were talking about all of the different um, uh, psychedelic therapies that are coming up for PTSD and trauma. But the other thing that they were talking about is productive stress and something as simple as, you know, doing a cold plunge for five minutes a day or doing box breathing because you're taking your body out of its normal rhythm of breath while you're still breathing and you're still getting oxygen, your, your body recognizes it as a stress response. And so what it does is it becomes more adept to stress, but because you're the one that's causing the stress, it's not causing that normal stress response or kind of PTSD reaction that some people have if they're already kind of pre-wired for that. So it's just kind of fascinating that like, I think even when we do heal, there has to be a certain amount that we're stressing the body and that we're stressing our lives in order to continue on whatever path we're going on. Right. Yeah. Ideally we would be the ones in control of what stressors we implement into our lives. You know, when we have catastrophe and other things, calamities happen in our lives, you know, a lot of times those are, you know, they can be predestined or they can be, you know, the universe kind of sending something your way as a means to kind of wake you up And you kind of don't want those types of things where it's kind of like a wake up call. You know, if it's something that's predestined, there ain't going to be nothing you can do about it anyway. But um, ideally, if you get to the point, like you said, you know, after you're healed, it would be quite boring to just be sitting there like, whoop de doo I'm healed. You know, Um, it's it's nice to be able to say, yeah, I can actually impose stress on my body and make it quite enjoyable, you know, and that's where you see a lot of people who are, you know, they get addicted to like weightlifting and stuff and um, cause they like the pain, you know, yes. and there is some sort of attraction to pain that, that we have psychologically. Um, and then also beyond that, there's like the chemical dependence on it, like endorphins, you know, you see the people who are constantly running and doing marathons and doing all this sort of thing. They're addicted to the endorphins. So I think at the end of the day, just being able to have the awareness of like, if you're going to be doing cold plunges or you're going to be doing anything, you know, be aware of like how it's serving you. And if it is serving you, because if it feels like it's an item on your task list that you feel like you have to do and you're forcing yourself to do it. Um, Cause I, I would, I would say like, if you stress yourself out too much and you know, you realize like, Oh wow, cold plunges are so good for me. I can do this. And then you start forcing yourself to do it. And then you're giving yourself more stress. So like what I learned at the Czech Institute is we learned we do some assessments and stuff um, with actual questionnaires. And this can kind of help people at the beginning when they're not that aware and in tune with their body. Um, You do these questionnaires and you can kind of see an overall physiological stress load that's imposed on your body. And if you have a high stress load, you actually don't, you kind of want to shy away from some of those things, you know, not say not do it at all, but I would not try and do those things every single day. Well, you know, and especially if you, if you have anything like Hashimoto's or um, 
autoimmune, you know, there's a certain amount of histamine that your body can handle. And, you know, what's funny is you brought up some, you brought up the Czech Institute. And as you were talking about that, I was thinking about this section in the subtle art of not giving a fuck, which has obviously become one of my favorite books in the last couple of months. But essentially what it says is that we have to fall in love with the process, right? So like if you're learning something and it's really difficult, you have to, whatever kind of pain the process is, you have to be in love with that kind of pain. And you're right. There are people who love spending three hours at the gym every day. And there are some people who love, you know, working 12 and 16 hour days so that they can make six figures. Everybody is kind of wired for a different kind of pain that makes them productive and I know even with me, I expressed to my therapist, like, you know, I've recently changed my, my work schedule to where I'm working a four day work week and taking three days every weekend. And while I love time off and I love not being one of those people that's busy 100% of the time, if I just don't have anything planned on those three days, I'm not productive. And so having somebody kind of remind me that like, you know, if you're really productive at work, then you need to find a new work hobby that's your side gig. And it's not about money. It's just about the pleasure of the work. Um, it really is about managing your energy because, you know, we all think that we just want to be healed and we want time off and we want money in the bank. But the reality is boredom is also a stress response. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's like, if you're bored in this day and age where you have everything available to you, that's, that's a pretty strong sign that there's some work that needs to be done within yourself, <laughs> you know, oh, because totally. there's, there's some amazing things out there in this world. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Yeah. It's really funny because, you know, recently, um, and I've shared a little bit on TikTok, but have not shared on the podcast. So I guess it's been about 15 days. I started, um, ketamine therapy and, you know, I had been, I had, I've well, obviously the last episode of the podcast was about the school shooting. And anytime I experience grief, I mean, I know what's coming, right? Like we all know what the magic formula is. Like there's the anger and the denial and the depression and da da da, and they all happen. Um, but it's just kind of interesting because you know, I've been doing some other really deep healing work, and about two to three days into the ketamine, my creativity came back. And, um, I know a lot of people have their opinions about AI, but I really haven't, I've done a little bit with the like chat GPT and, and research in like, you know, writing. Um, but I hadn't learned, uh, the other AI like of images. And so as soon as I dove in, you know, because I'm a web designer and I understand the prompts and I also went to art school. So it's extra fun for me. I ended up with like 500 images, my first sitting and like, 16,000 ideas for like Christmas cards and coloring books and, you know, fill in all the blanks, but it was just really fascinating to watch my creative brain re-engage because it really, you know, sometimes when you get into a depressed state, first of all, like you don't want to admit it. Like nobody likes that word. Like we don't want to say, you know, I'm not feeling normal or I don't have any drive or, you know, whatever, whatever language you want to put around it. The bottom line is when we get in a depressed state, it can be hard to get out of our own way. And what I've really noticed with the ketamine therapy is that like, so I'm doing a microdose every couple of days. Um, and I don't actually like the drug. It's not fun, which is probably a good thing. Um, within, you know, a day or two, I was immediately working out more often, um, participating in my addictive behaviors less often 
uh, eating better, getting out of the house more, going out and meeting people, which I really never do. Um, it's just, it's been fascinating to actually see it work because I've been very opposed to taking any kind of antidepressants. Um, a lot of people who have complex PTSD or PTSD don't really respond. Like it can alleviate symptoms for a short period of time. But if you have something that's complex like PTSD, it's not just going to go away from a pill. Um, the pill is, I, I like to look at medicine as something that gets you into a different state so that you can remember what wellness feels like so that you can start working towards that again. Yeah. Yeah. I've had, I've had certain experiences like that with MDMA. And I remember uh, the very first time I took MDMA, um, I was, me and my friends had driven to Nebraska to go see a Flaming Lips concert. And this is at the beginning, uh, it was actually a few years into me having, you know, anxiety and panic attacks quite often, like almost never ending. And so we're driving down to the to the show and I was just feeling miserable and I was reading a book along the way on the road trip trying to figure out what's going on and I still felt terrible and so when we were approaching the concert like everybody was starting to pass around some alcohol and I started to drink that cuz I just wanted I wanted the pain to go away you know just so that I could enjoy the concert for a little bit and the alcohol didn't help and I think that's a thing with like PTSD and stuff is like you become hypersensitive to almost everything, you know, whether it be smells, whether it be lights, whether it be, you name it, you become hypersensitive and um, the out, certain things that, you know, coping mechanisms that you used to use like alcohol or something, they don't work anymore. Yeah. And that's uh, a great point. Yeah. That's what had happened with me is I, I drank the alcohol and I was, you know, feeling pretty sick from it actually. And it didn't, it didn't help at all. And then we had MDMA. And then, so I drank some of that and, you know, in retrospect, I was younger. So it's like, you know, and I was at the beginning and I didn't really understand much about health and wellness and, you know, how to manage all of this sort of stuff. So right, yeah, you're kind of doing it at a party drug at the time. Yeah. I'm just, yeah. I just, I'm like, at that point I was like, all right, well, whatever. And I drank it and then I was feeling pretty miserable. Um, we were at the concert and it hadn't kicked in and, I was just feeling really sick from all the alcohol. And then I just remember I started throwing up <laughs> at in the concert and my friend just was looking over at me and he was really worried about me because like we just took MDMA, we were drinking and he was trying to see if I was okay. And I was just motioning to him. Like I was trying to communicate with my hands that I'm okay. I just have to vomit right now. And as soon as I was done vomiting, um, I got up and I remember this very vividly. I felt for the first time in, I don't know how many years it had been at that point, three, four years of me dealing with panic attacks all the time. For the very first time, I felt absolutely free of it. And I looked over to my friend and I told him, I was like, I feel like I could be in World War II right now and not give a fuck. And he he looked at me, he's like, yeah, man, you just go do that. <laughs> and that's that's kind of how <laughs> it feels. It's like MDMA, it, it opens up the heart, right? And what is the heart associated with? The heart's associated with love, but it's also associated with courage, right? And it, it was very strange to me that it gave me that feeling of that open-heartedness, which was not so much love. I did feel love and I, you know, um, gave my friends hugs and all that sort of stuff. But more than that, I just felt completely fearless. Like, and I guess they say, you know, courage is different than fearlessness, but, um, I really did feel fearless and 
it felt like I could be in World War II and be okay with it. And just, and my friend's like, yeah, you just go do that. Like, if that's where you're at in your life, that's just what you do. And to be able to have that, that strength and that bravery. And I think you'd mentioned human design at the beginning of, of the, this whole conversation. And it's funny, just understanding, like I said, the body's are a roadmap to the spirit, right? So in human design, there's the different centers, right? So you have your heart center, you have your solar plex center, you have your spleen, splenic center. And all of these organs are associated with different feelings, right? Just like I said, the heart's associated with love. It's associated with courage. And then you have stuff like the, the spleen, right? The spleen is going to be associated with your primal instinct. And if you think about a warrior, a warrior is very splenic, right? Because they're very much in the moment. And the spleen is also involved with fear and all of that sort of stuff. So I'm not sure exactly what had happened exactly in my body. But yeah, I felt completely free of, of all of the, the fear, the anxiety. And I was like, oh my God, like I just want to feel like this all the time. And honestly, the best way I could describe it, I remember vividly thinking to myself, I'm like, I feel normal. That was like the one thing that I thought. I was like, this is normal. And I don't know if that's like how our spirits are, you know, when we're on the other side and that's just everything's fine. But that's how I felt. Everything was fine. I felt normal. And ever since that day, I've been using that experience as almost like a a beacon. It's like a homing beacon to like, all right, if I do a meditation or if I, you know, practice certain behaviors in my lifestyle, you know, trying to get to bed at this time and gauge how I feel, I always gauge it to almost that experience where it's like, do you just feel normal? Do you just feel completely okay? Because obviously you don't want to be relying on drugs. And at least for me, I'm not, I have nothing against, um, I think psychedelics are going to be, you know, rev- they already are revolutionary, but um, to a certain degree, they're like a crutch. They're like a taxi. They're like, you know, call a taxi to get you to a certain city, but they're not going to take you to your soul completely. You know, they'll get right. you in the city where your soul resides, but it's still going to be up to you to walk around that city and be like, okay, where's, I got to find my soul here. You know? Yeah, you definitely so. have to do the work. But what I will say, it's interesting that you brought up fear because what I'm really noticing with ketamine, just as an example, so my therapist gave me some homework. She wants me to make some friends. Um, and she wanted me to take a class. And um, it's funny because the class thing, I couldn't find anything that fit into my schedule, but I was like, okay, I got to complete this homework assignment. I at least have to like make an attempt to make some friends. Right. So I go in the Facebook group for my city, you know, and there's like a making friends. um, And I go in there and I like bravely, you know, make my little post and some woman comes in. She's like, Hey, we have a group lunch scheduled today. Why don't you drop by? And I had the availability in my schedule and pre-ketamine Maria would have been like, nah, maybe I'll get ready. Maybe, you know, and the time would have creeped up and then I would be like, oh, fuck it. I'm going to take a nap. I actually got ready and I showed up to the lunch and I made conversation with strangers and I enjoyed myself and I didn't worry about how terrible it was going to be the whole way there. And I wasn't, you know, bouncing my leg and ready to, you know, get out of the seat and get the heck out of there. Like I just went and I just felt normal. And I just haven't felt that in so long of like the, you know, when you have PTSD, 
what happens is your brain is, you know, we all know the the phrase, the neurons that fire together, wire together. So when you have PTSD, your brain is always looking for something to be wrong. Essentially it's, you know, what's going to happen next. How is this going to be unsafe? Who's going to tailgate me? I bet I'm not going to like somebody there. And it almost turns into this like pre anxiety that stops you from getting out into the world and living your life. Um, so it's actually just kind of fascinating to watch myself, like get out of my own way in multiple ways. It's like just the narrative and the rumination is gone. And that is really rare for me. That's incredible. Yeah. See, that's the type of stuff that I live for. I live for hearing people have that transformation. And I live for seeing that sort of transformation within myself too. And yeah, if you have, I don't care what it is, you know, as long as it works, you know, and if you can have that that feeling and you can have that bright light and, and cause I get the same thing, you know, with a uh, meditation, like I even had it today, like, you know, I'd been exhausted most of the week for different various reasons. Um, and then I finally crashed last night. And then this morning, I think just kind of had a little bit of fog looming over me and, uh, yeah. And then I, I hopped into a meditation and I love what you said about how you said, you know, pre Maria wouldn't, would have done things like this. You know, and then so that's what I noticed with myself. I'm like, old me would have done things like this. I would have ruminated about it all day. I would have turned on Netflix and just watched some crappy movie or series and just kind of cast myself away. But I did an hour long meditation. And then all of a sudden, I feel fine. It took me about halfway through the meditation and I actually started feeling, oh, so good. And that's the point. Yeah. You know, it's like, if you can get to that point, and then I went out and about and I did. I took care of a bunch of things that I normally wouldn't have done because I had depression looming over me, you know? Yeah. And I'm definitely meditating multiple times a day right now of like, I'm doing everything I can to make the neuroplasticity permanent. I don't want to take it forever, but I was, I was really just stuck. Like, I don't know. I felt like literally I was exhausted all the time, but I couldn't get a full night's rest. And then during the day, I would just want to take a nap because I'm never sleeping, right? So it's just like this, I felt like literally all I'm doing is like working, managing like what I'm going to eat for, you know, like the two meals that I eat a day. And then like, when can I get some sleep in? Just stuck in this cycle of like nothingness, no creativity. Um, I mean, I journal, I meditate, I do that stuff on a regular basis, even when I feel like that. And just nothing was happening. Um, yeah. And the other fascinating thing that I learned this week, um, I did not know this. And it pisses me off that we're not taught this in adolescence as males and females. What I did not know is that up until puberty, boys and girls are about the same as far as anger, depression, you know, fill in all the nasty blanks, right? Women are wired for it. So as soon as our hormones kick in, and I mean, obviously women know this because we get bitchy every month. You know what I mean? Like we have a cycle of like knowing when we're going to feel like shit and when we're going to not feel like shit. Um, and obviously we know that, but what we, what I didn't realize is that like women are predispositioned from puberty for depression, anger, rumination, you know, like all of the essentially like the emotional components that work your way into psychological problems. Yeah. And it's fucked that nobody tells us that, that nobody prepares us and just says, Hey, 
this is what your body's going to do. And if you have all these tools of understanding nervous system regulation and understanding that you need to get outside and that you need to sleep and that you need to move your body every day, you know, it's so much more than just eating right and exercising. It's literally, you have to do the work all day, every day, all the time. And it's not that it always has to be work, but like if self-care isn't something that you ever learned about, it's really difficult to get into those habits. Yeah, absolutely. Like the the word work, you know, is close to the word war. And that's something you need to be aware of. You know, you have the W-O-R, W-A-R. It's like, that's why, you know, and I believe in, in, in work, you know, and putting in the work, but I think the idea is, is to change your attitude towards it because if you're approaching it as work, which it is, you know, it's going to be a little bit different than when you start, like, if you just tell yourself, Hey, I have to do this, but this can actually be awesome. And I can experience peace. I can experience joy while doing this. It was just like today, um, I, I got uh, stuck in line somewhere and then I had to go back and, oh, I was trying to purchase a drink over, I was at a furniture store and I, I had gotten a drink from out of their, their uh, I guess the real little refrigerator they had upstairs. And so I was about to leave the store. They didn't have what I wanted there. So I was like, hey, can I just buy this drink? And they're like, you have to go back upstairs we, and buy it up there. So I had to walk all the way through the store again. And then I just reminded myself, I was like, I can just have peace in this moment. Like, as opposed to being angry about it, this is an opportunity for me to feel completely free and devoid of all the troubles that I've ever had in my life. Like, starting to realize that every activity that you would do from wake till sleep can be an opportunity for you to experience peace and joy. And that's like a powerful thing. So whether you're meditating, whether you're journaling, whether you're doing, you know, uh, any sort of self-development practice, it's just realizing while you're doing it, you can feel free. It doesn't have to feel like, oh God, I got to do this. And there's so much stuff that I have to manage. I think it's just restructuring your, your mind to realize that every opportunity is available to you at any given moment. So yeah. I mean, honestly, I think it was just kind of fascinating to learn that like the fact that I'm pre-wired for the, like to, to have negative thoughts and feelings, I don't feel so hard on myself. Right. It just, it just like a realization that, Oh, like my game board is a little bit different. Yep. And yep. so I have to play the game a little bit differently. Um, right. But you know, how much easier would I, would my life have been if I learned that as a teenager? You know, right. if I understand, right. if I if I had the basic understanding that like it's normal for you to feel this way, like just yeah, that exactly. one statement of like this is normal. I may right. not enjoy feeling cranky and bitchy, but it's very normal. It's right. not abnormal. And I think right. also like in Western culture, we spend so much time looking for happiness. And one of the things I loved about the intro to the subtle art of not giving a fuck was exactly that of like every moment that I'm looking for happiness, I am affirming that I don't have happiness. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And that's the thing, like, I think you were mentioning, like, if you had known about this since you were younger, uh, it would have freed up a lot of space for you internally. Like, 
And it's so true. It's like on the map of consciousness, the lowest level, the lowest rung on the map of consciousness is shame, right? So that's like the the lowest state anybody can ne uh, necessarily be in is shame. And that's the thing, though. It's like if you have shame and then you have shame about being in shame, that's even lower, right? So yeah. just like you said, had you known when you were younger that you're just, this is just part of like what it means to be a woman or, you know, going, you know, from adolescence to womanhood, like that's just normal and it's typical, right? So then you don't have to feel like you've gone, you've probably spent way too much time just ruminating about like, God, why am I like this? And and I you're mean, fighting. The last like decade, honestly. And it's not that I, okay, so obviously I didn't understand my trauma and my PTSD, but every time I learn something new about this, it makes it feel so much more normal. And I think the normalization of, you know, that we're all a little bit traumatized from one thing or another, and we've all gone through stuff like just that, like, I think is really helpful because when I read, um, uh, healing developmental trauma, that book completely blew my mind. It was like a roadmap from like before birth, when I was in the womb up and like till like, you know, it's funny as there was something in one of the books I read recently that said even people who are in their 80s when they're in therapy are still talking about their parents and their childhood. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> just the realization that like even the happiest people who had the most wonderful, you know, born with oh, yeah. a silverest spoon in their mouth still have something to bitch about. And one, one of the funny, like there are two things that I have been saying a lot recently is number one, Things don't have to be perfect for me to be grateful. But the other thing I like to kind of keep things light and I like to laugh at myself when I catch myself being an ass. So the other thing I like to say is my life is really great, but I can always find things to bitch about. And that's so true of just like at a default, I'm aware. It's good for me to be aware that I'm always sometimes looking for something to bitch about and things really don't have to be perfect for me to be grateful. There's so many, there's so many things to be grateful for. Right. So this is something that has been uh, that I've realized recently in like the past couple months. I, I think I realized it before, but I actually wrote it down as something to to review almost daily. Um, it's funny. I wrote it down, but I still haven't started reviewing it daily. But <laughs> I will. I will. I'm at that point where I'm I'm developing like a morning and evening routine, something that I kind of want to hold for the rest of my life. And it's yeah. this it's that it's that reminding yourself of how bad your life could be because that's the thing once you heal just like you're saying there's always something you can bitch about and i think i remember hearing neville goddard one of my favorite spiritual teachers he spoke about this he was telling people that your imagination creates your life and that if you're you know having a mental argument in your head with one of your friends or coworkers or family members and then you're out and about gossiping about people and you're doing all this, you're saying all these negative things that you're creating more of that in your life. And, and so these, he, he was joking around. He was saying these, these ladies were like, they're like, all right, Neville, I totally get you on that. Like it completely makes sense and stuff, but I just can't stop myself from doing it. And he's like, well, why can't you stop yourself from doing it? And then she finally answered. She's like, because I just love to gossip. <laughs> well, and even the female yeah. brain is wired for that. We yeah. we get our social regulation from discussing the issue with somebody else. 
Right. And, and of course, you know, men look at it as like, oh, we just like to gossip. Well, our brains are actually, that's how our brains function. Like it's just, and right. so, like I said, I think just knowing that about myself and knowing that sometimes I do that, but then also I think the, the main thing is being able to notice when you're doing it in yourself and then right. stop. Because, you know, I know for me, there was this one situation I got into where I, uh, I had lost a bunch of money from a business partner that stole a bunch of money. And I went into like a spiral. I mean, I was grieving the loss of the business and the 10 people who lost their jobs. And I almost lost my house. And it was all I could talk about. I mean, I wouldn't shut up about that. Like I would talk about it and talk about it and I would cry and I would talk about it. And every time I would tell the story, I would cry. I mean, it was insane. And I finally had this friend who he, you know, of course, like he knew he was going to offend me and he knew that I needed to hear it. He's like, dude, stop talking about it. Maybe for just like a day and see what happens. And I was like, you're such an asshole. I can't believe you'd say that. This is the only thing I can think about. It's, you know how it is when you're stuck in your, in your story, it's the only thing that is top of mind. Right. And, you know, there've been times in my life where things got so difficult that I forced myself to go find volunteer work. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. just yeah. get out of your own way. Somebody else has it worse than you. Yep. And really, like, it's not even just that somebody has it worse than me. Like, 10 years ago, Maria would be so fucking proud of me today. Yeah. And I minimize myself so much. It was so funny because I was, I had a lunch date before we got on the call. And you know, we were kind of talking about, and the person was a little bit younger than me. And we're talking about like kind of where we were at in our lives. And, you know, he had like, he had some things that I felt were brag worthy. And as I was sort of like talking about my stuff and minimizing, you know, he was kind of saying like, dude, like you're where I want to be. Like, and we totally forget that like, no matter what we're doing, we're influencing other people. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that, that's that conundrum, right? Because I think, you know, if everything is going well, like imagine like, this is what prompted me to do this is like, if I imagined my life as being completely successful, I'm happy. I have, you know, everything that I want, you know, my, my dreams are, have come true for a career, fi financial, you know, interrelations and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's like, where's the, where's the storyline anymore? Like, where's the, where's the plot? Because we, we almost need like the bad things to be there because it gives your life a story. But I thought about that. I really questioned that because I was like, is that really true though? Because if I can just remind myself, oh, this is what my life could be like in terms of like, I could be getting tortured right now. I could be homeless. I could be, uh, have, terrible physical disease. I could lose my limbs. I could, you know, it's just reminding yourself that your life could be absolutely terrible. And if it's not in that position, then you have almost no right to complain within yourself. Right. And that's a very logical thing to do. Obviously we have to appeal to the emotional brain too, but it's, if you can get that just sorted out and just start to look around you and be like, oh, okay, did all my earthly needs were met today? And if they were, then be completely thankful, right? Like, did you get to go to the grocery store and buy whatever food you wanted? Did you, do you have a roof over your head, right? Do you have, 
uh, good people in your life? Do you have a good job? Like, do you have money coming well, in? I feel do like you- the Western yeah. mindset is so dissatisfied with having our needs met. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the baseline is just not good enough for us. And and you know what I mean? Like we think that we need to live in a mansion with six pools and 10 cars. It's really ridiculous because when you really think about the poverty consciousness that we have from an epigenetics standpoint, right? Like literally my grandfather grew up like he, he got the shit beat out of him so bad that he left the house before the age of 10 and was like literally sleeping on dirt floors in people's barns on farm. Like he was homeless by choice. And a a police officer found him um, because he'd been beaten so bad that he bled out of his ears and ended up deaf. And a police officer found him and sent him to the deaf school. The state took care of him. And literally because he went to the deaf school, he was able to work for the railroad. My grandmother was a cook. I mean, I come from literally like the very bluest blue collar roots. I was the first in my family to, to finish my college degree. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's pretty wild to see like the older generations and what they had to endure, (laughs) you know, like, and what we're not grateful for. Right. Like they were so good at saving money. And I mean, they had to go through the depression. Like we don't really, you know, we've been through, all these crashes and COVID and, you know, a week, a week where the stores didn't have toilet paper, but literally I don't think I know anybody who was unable to wipe their ass that week. Yeah. Like there's yeah. so much abundance. <laughs> I know. Even in our crisis, everybody had what they needed. They may not have had everything that they wanted, but we're just so unhappy with the baseline of having our needs met in the United States. We act like having our needs met is, poverty and we should be ashamed if that's all we're doing well and that's the key to this and this is what i really realized it's like the the key to like have the freedom within yourself is to realize like it's like okay have your earthly needs been met today do you have a home do you have food like do you have good people in your life do you have a job do you have you know and you might not have everything on that list but for the most part i would say most people probably listening to this podcast have those things, you know, yeah. and and if you do, it's just realizing like, hey, any of those things could be could disappear tomorrow, right? So the idea is that I, I've started restructuring my brain to, and you know, just restructuring my whole being to to remind myself that everything comes from God, right? So whether it's and, you know, we don't have to go into the definition of of God. I just use that term loosely because it's the only term that really exists right now. People say the universe or whatever, but um, we don't have to go into the semantics of what God means to me or anything like that. But um, everything comes from God, right? So whether it's the good things in, in your life or the bad things, just like it says in Isaiah 45, 7, you know, uh, I create good, I create uh, evil, I create peace i create war i the lord do all these things i form the light i form the darkness you know so god is is doing all of these things and i would imagine a lot of people listening to this podcast too have probably experienced a lot of darkness uh in their life you know dealing with mental health and all that sort of stuff and that maybe that's why they gravitated to your channel but if if you've experienced darkness already in your life and you know what darkness is is there any need to go further into that darkness 
Probably not. I mean, it's a question somebody has to to ask themselves, but I know well, for me, I've been, th- I've been through enough where I'm just like, I don't need to go down that road any further. I know what it means. And I'm grateful I had those experiences because now I do appreciate these little things of just like my earthly needs were met today. So that's why I just thank God that, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to shit on anything in my life with stinking thinking, you know, I'm really going to try my hardest. Like if I catch myself in those bad thoughts and I've been doing it more and more and more, and I'm like, oh, and it's just easy for me to let it go now. And that's like, why would you shit on something? Because you're only going to create, if you keep going down that path, you're only going to create more darkness in your life and it's going to be miserable. So yeah, I don't know. It's pretty easy for me to feel decent about where I'm at in my life. And I, I feel, I feel satisfied, right? Like I know, I guess a lot of people too are are, are worried. And I had the same thing. It's like, you were talking about how people think they need to have the mansion and they need to have this. And those are all beautiful experiences. Like if you can have a mansion, I mean, it could be a shit experience too, having a mansion, but um, the universe is filled with uh, beautiful experiences, right? You could be rich, you could be famous and you could be uh, the best in whatever field you're, you're in. You could be a scientist that wins Nobel prizes, you know, like, there's so many experiences to have. And I think the thing that also liberated me was I kind of heard a message from God at one point just saying that, hey, any dream you could ever have um, can and will come true if you would like it to, because eternity is a really, 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 really long time. And we have to fill it with stuff. That's what God has to do. We have to fill it with stuff. And so it's like, you know, maybe maybe one life I want to be a famous musician or maybe one life I want to be a scientist and win Nobel Prizes. Maybe one life I just kind of want to be a simple, simple guy in Louisiana. So, you know, like, I just know that I'm not missing out on anything anymore. I used to have that constant feeling of lack, like keeping up with the Joneses, like I need a better place. I need this. I need, so yeah. do you really? Like, no, you don't. And that's been... I can be very much not enough. Like I have a lot of not enoughness in my life and there's no reason for it. Sometimes I'll buy things and I'm like, did I really just need to buy nine tank tops? Like, could I have just bought two or one? Like I I can only wear one top at a time. I don't know why I need nine. Um, It's so funny because when you were talking about the Neville Goddard thing, I was thinking about our favorite, you know, one of our mutual um, teachers, Dr. Hawkins. And I remember how irritated I was when I heard him say that the ego gets a certain satisfaction from suffering. And I was like, screw you. I do not, you know, like, (laughs) no, no, I don't like, I don't love this. Yes, you fucking do. Absolutely. Yep. I mean, it's so funny because like I, I used to, you know, like I'm not great with my money. That's one of my toxic traits that I'm, it's one of the things that I'm learning to get better at. I'll say it that way. Um, but you know, I used to, um, stress when I would get to the end of the month. And I'm like, Oh my God, how am I going to pay? Well, now I pay my rent an entire month ahead, but then I do another thing that stresses me out instead. And that is proof that we love the drama. Like, Oh Yeah my ego gets a certain satisfaction out of not doing the right thing. And, you know, it's kind of funny. I love the Mel Robbins podcast. She says something to the degree that like, if we're unwilling 
to do something different, the bar just stays low and then we don't have to disappoint ourselves. Right. Like we just stay stuck in our shitty little mess. Yep. Yep. And there's nothing to worry about. You just stay stay stuck if you want, you know, it's, I mean. It's comfortable because you know it. It's a, it's a comfortable misery, you know, it's, it's a known misery. You know, everything about it. So therefore it is not scary to you. It's painful, but it's not fearful. Whereas like going and doing something different, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if you're going to fail. You don't know if this person's going to judge you. You know, it's, it's the fear of the unknown of doing something different. Um, it's a lot easier for us to be on autopilot. And I've recognized that within myself. Like yeah. that's why I think I've spent so much time trying to create a good autopilot, <laughs> you know, where if yeah. you develop these habits and you think in these certain ways, and then I guess, obviously at the end of the day, you want to be aware and that means you're not on autopilot. You're awake. And, uh, but yeah, I'm totally with you. Yeah. People love the drama and that I'm, I'm not immune from it either. Like it's just biology, right? It's if, if yes. people see, uh, YouTube videos or, uh, they're scrolling their social media they're I, I don't know the exact statistic, but it's something like 70% more likely to click on something if it has a negative connotation in the title, right? Right. It's it's like if it bleeds, it leads, right? Exactly. Right. And I've noticed that within myself as soon as I saw that. And then I started paying attention over the next few days. I'm like, oh, I'd rather click the video where the guy is like talking about what his ex did to him or like, or I'm, I'm, if I'm on TikTok and I'm scrolling through videos, I'm much more likely to hear a 911 emergency call response of like a burglar coming into somebody's got somebody's house and then the guy shoots him you know <laughs> like it's just that's it's attractive for some reason and well, it's gotta I think be it's our it's our survival brain right it's like yep, we've spent exactly. so much of our evolution surviving and now we're living in this landscape where our survival is pretty much guaranteed i mean it's not guaranteed guaranteed but like on a most right you know on a day-to-day basis in a first world country we live pretty comfortable lives. Most, you know, most of us aren't involved in things that are life-threatening. So I feel like the brain is just wired to, you know what I mean? It's like, well, there's no problem here. We better find one. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Always looking for the, it is that reptilian brain and Every part of the body, like I said, it deals with different instincts and emotions and chemicals. And so the the reptilian brain, the animal brain, the survival brain part of us has its own components. It has its own neurotransmitters and it has all these things. And the more and more you're using that brain, the more likely it is that you're going to gravitate to those types of things, right? They, they The whole, you know... Uh, neurons that fire together, wire together. But beyond that, it's like if they're firing together and wiring together, you're also going to be looking in your environment for things that match that. It's all a resonance and it's all an attraction. People say law of attraction isn't real. It absolutely 100% is real. And it's so real that it goes down to that very subtle level where if you're in your lizard brain, um, you're going to be more likely if you're scrolling social media, you're going to want to see the drama posts. You're going to want to dig into You're going to start wasting your time just seeing about this person murdering somebody or whatever. Well, and if you're constantly affirming that your thoughts don't matter, 
then they don't. Yep. Yeah. And if you're yeah, constantly yeah. affirming that your thoughts do matter, I mean, the bottom line is the way that the law of att- attraction works. And, and the thing is, it doesn't work. It's just like gravity. It's a law. Whatever right. we're thinking about manifests. So we're, if we're thinking about, oh, this is bullshit. Everything's bullshit. Well, then we're going to get a lot more bullshit. And the oh, universe yeah. is going to continually show us. Yes, you're right. Yep. And that's, how, that, and that's just how 100%, like we don't even understand the, um, the degree the to which, <laughs> yeah, we don't understand the degree to which uh, the universe is capable, right? So, right. We, and we don't even know what's coming for us. Like if, if you, like I said, when, if you have any dreams, like I, I've thought to myself before, I'm like, there's so many times I've watched like, uh, or listen to the Beatles or something. And I would just think to myself, I'm like, God, what I would give to go back and be a fly on the wall in those recording sessions, you know, when they're making all the music, like such beautiful music to me. And I love everything about it. And I, since being a musician, like I love the process of making music. I love those moments when, you stumble upon the right melody or something. And so to see those moments happen uh, would be quite an experience. And this is the thing with the universe. The universe, it's not like that's in the past. Oh, you didn't get it on an iPhone. So you're never going to see that. It, this is all recorded in the the library of the universe. Every right. Single so if you event. were good enough for remote viewer, you could dial back to that that time and space and be a fly on the wall. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you can do that or just maybe sometime in the afterlife. Like I've always had the thought to myself, I'm like, God, when, when, when I die, I would like to see a stats list of my life, you know, like (laughs) just how many spiders I swallowed while sleeping and (laughs) who, who owed me what money, (laughs) you know, just like, (laughs) just like a little spreadsheet with all the, yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, like, you want like an Akashic record of the Akashic record. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like I want to see all the times where I was actually right in an argument. Um, right. You know, like just, just funny stuff like that. But yeah, when you go into the afterlife, you would actually be able to go back. And that's why there's, they call them like the levels of heaven. Right. So that, that would be like a type of level of heaven where you can kind of just go about and do whatever you want. And you might want to go back to 1962 and just be there in spirit and just watch like the entire Beatles. You could watch their entire lives. If you wanted to, you could watch Paul McCartney from birth to where he is now, or John Lennon from birth to death and see every moment in his life. Um, and it's like, cause we're, we, we love that. Like we love like on Netflix, we love watching, you know, reality TV. We love watching all these different shows but you could watch people's lives like a show. You could watch your life like a show. And I even think that if you wanted to, since we're all connected and we're all one, I think that if you really wanted to, you could actually go and live those people's lives. So well, my you understanding can... of like the past life review thing is that you're not necessarily looking at your own past life. You know, that's why everybody thinks that they're, you know, so-and-so from Egyptian times or, you know, Benjamin Franklin you're looking at an energetic resonance of something that makes sense to something going on with you currently. 
Yeah. Because yeah. you're right. We are all one. So that would mean that if we have multiple lives, past consciousness, lives on different planets and in different, you know, in different forms that are not just physical bodies, then we would have access to all of that when the veil is removed because the human experience is literally choosing one of the densest, most veiled experiences and attempting to find love and goodness in this place. I know when I had my, my first acid trip, and I know you know about this, um, I mean, so I learned about acid as a teenager in a psychology class. And I, the first time I heard about it, I was like, oh my God, I want to meet God. Like I want the God experience. I had wanted it since the first time I'd heard about it. And then I think you always hear about, you know, people having bad trips, you know, da, da, da. So I waited a really long time. I mean, as a person who's partied and experimented here and there with different substances, I'm surprised that I waited so long to have my first acid trip. But about a year and a half ago, um, I had my first LSD experience and it took me a lot to get there, but I was not doing it as a party drug. I was doing it for the psychedelic experience and for the spiritual experience. And what I was shown was literally that like, when we come into this place, we're so veiled that we are separated from all of this beauty and all of this light. And that is why a lot of us feel this underlying kind of sadness, depression, like this can't be all that there is. Well, of course it's not all that there is. Our sixth sense knows that intrinsically. And the the more advanced or the less advanced human soul would kind of not want to see that or not want to admit that, that we are all one. Yeah. Um, Whereas the more advanced human soul is kind of like, well, why wouldn't we be, you know, how could it be any other way? And so when I had that experience, I just remember like, first of all, like, as I'm going through it, I'm like, you know, crying and like, oh my God, that was the most beautiful, you know, thing I've ever seen. And for like weeks, I kept trying to like draw it and paint it and, you know, like find lamps that look, I mean, it was just like the most beautiful <laughs> image, like the image that I saw was beautiful, but, but yeah. the message that came with the image was like, yep. I had the, the, the God experience that I wanted. I wanted to be shown that this is not all there is. And I had that. And it was just, you know, I mean, I don't know if you know that you probably know this, but a founder, Bill Wilson, the, he found he became he found sobriety after his first acid trip. I don't know if he if he only had one or if he had multiples. I think he may have only had one, but that's the reason why psychedelics help to rewire the brain because this isn't all there is. And I think that when you get stuck in PTSD, all you're thinking about is you know the bills that need to get paid and what if I lose my job and it's COVID and what's going to happen next and so and so died and you know, look at this atrocity and this place got bombed and look at this shooting. I mean, of course we're in fight or flight all the time. And it makes sense that we don't feel safe in this human experience. It doesn't always feel safe here. And I think sometimes just allowing it to be that, you know, fine. I don't feel safe in my body all the time, but I am safe because my spirit is eternal. You know, that's a different kind of knowing this where, you're allowed to let go a lot of the baggage. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing. Like, like you said, you, you, that's what psychedelics do. They open you up to show you 
that there's so much more to life than what meets the eye, right? And I've had plenty of those experiences myself, and I almost don't even have any desire for psychedelics anymore because I feel like I've seen what I've needed to. And I think there's a limit to which, like, like the human body itself, like it almost has like, you know, governors built into it where it's like, it can only allow in so much vibration. Um, yeah. And those peak experiences with psychedelics and stuff that they'll burn you out. Like if you oh, yeah. it'll fry your like, nervous system. Yeah. They will fry your nervous system because that's a lot of information to take in. And that's what I was trying to say is that I don't think people recognize including myself, the magnitude, I know for sure I don't recognize this, but the magnitude um, to which the universe is capable, right? Yeah. There's infinite potential, literally infinite potential. Um, you can have those peak experiences. And this is, a, this is a thought that I had that kind of goes along with like in the afterlife, like the levels of heaven, there could be a level of heaven where you kind of get to do whatever you want. But I've I've played around with the idea, and I don't know if this is this is the truth, but like just entertaining the idea kind of opened me up in a lot of new ways that it would I could probably write a book on. But um, imagine if you actually have to go through and live everybody's life, like you're who you are right now. And there's that saying, it's like you know you don't understand that person's life unless you walk in their shoes. What if that's what we're doing? We're all just playing like <laughs> we're just switching Taking lives. Taking turns walking into each other's shoes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like next life I might be you. And then the next life you might be Oprah Winfrey, you know? And it's like it doesn't stop. That's how big eternity is. There's enough time in eternity for all of us to live each other's lives. Well, and I that's always try to play that ego game. If like somebody, you know, if I think that somebody did me wrong, I always try to remind myself that I probably did this to somebody in a, in another life or maybe yep. in this life, you know yep. what I mean? Like karma is not always, you know, li you know what lifetimes ago, sometimes it's instantaneous. We've all seen it happen. Yep. yep. Yeah. It's, it's pretty, pretty wild and it's magnificent. Like that's the thing about life. It's like, if you just realize what we're talking about right now and how beautiful that is, we don't know exactly what's happening and what's going to happen. We have a general idea. You know, you can learn from people's near-death experiences and all the spiritual teachers and even all the scientists and all that sort of stuff. Um, but it's just recognizing how magnificent life is. There is that potential for you to be able to live everybody's life or live the life of your idol or something, you know? And um, because at the end of the day, I've, I've had so many times in my life where I felt like I was watching my life is like watching a movie. I feel like I'm like, am, is this all scripted? <laughs> you know, like yeah. that's how it feels sometimes. And I think about how much I love watching film. Like I'm such a fan of film. I love, you know, uh, series. So like, I like, you know, seasons, I like movies, um, I just love film. I love getting involved into a story. And if you look at every person's life, everybody's got a pretty cool story. Even if it's a simple person, that's the cool yeah. thing about like a simple life is like, that's an awesome story. Imagine living that, you know, and who knows what, what, what's really happening or what we're all going to go through. If it's, we have to live everybody's lives or 
who knows? I don't really know, but um, I like entertaining the idea and just recognizing that it is possible. Um, yeah, so it's and I guess with psychedelics and stuff, your your God experience and I don't know. I had those types of experiences when I was very young, so I don't know. It's just it's interesting to me because I I, I would see people throughout the years following meditation and they're they're constantly striving. And then after talking to you and you were saying you were striving for that. And then I just realized like how blessed I was because I've had those types of experiences so much in my life where it was just like, I, th I literally had the thought one time, I'm like, Oh, people haven't had these types of experiences or like, it was just kind of crazy to me. Um, but yeah, I'm, I, I feel blessed because, and now you do too, because you've experienced that and there's nothing quite like it. Um, it's just 100% absolutely incredible. So yeah, I don't know. It's pretty, pretty interesting stuff. So there's this great Buddhist meditation that says, you know, if we stop and, and explore a leaf for a couple of minutes, like just to realize the magnitude of the beauty that exists in the world. Yeah. And we never stop to appreciate just those little things of like the exquisite physics and science and material that goes into the very simple things like blades of grass <laughs> absolutely you know? yeah, or, the... or trees changing color in the fall like it's just yes it's magical and beautiful but we fail to realize the exquisiteness of the physical experience i think that we're most of the time we're so resentful about being in a body <laughs> like you know yeah, yeah. always here in the spiritual community oh i'm not supposed to be here I love Regina Meredith because the narrative that she always says is, no, you, you chose to be here. You designed this, this is yours. And so another thing I like to play when I hit a wall is why would I have designed it this way? What yeah. am I, you know, what, what lesson am I missing so that I don't have to repeat this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like that's that awareness thing. It's like, what are you here for? Like if you can start to become aware of like, what what am I here for? What's my mission? What am I supposed to be doing? You know, and asking those types of questions because there is an answer and you can have it. You can have awareness of what that answer is. Um, and I think when it comes down to like, you know, smelling the roses thing, like what you were talking about, that's like a time thing. People are so crunched for time and I get it. Like there's so many times I'm like that too, but I think for the most part, what's been really helping me is just recognizing that eternity is forever. And, well, and crunched for time is such another flavor of poverty consciousness. We yeah. love to do the, you know, oh, I only slept, you know, seven hours last night. And then the next, oh, I only slept five. And then, you know, the third person chimes <laughs> in and they're like, I only slept three. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, well, I haven't slept in months. You know what I mean? That's like one of my favorite things that Dr. Hawkins would say is, Yours is the saddest story I've ever heard. You know, like I have to remind myself because we do get so melodramatic about everything of, you know, yep. how little time we have where really like if, if any one of us were to log the hours of Netflix or podcasts or music, we'd be like, oh shit. Yeah. I probably have plenty of time. I could have taken even five minutes from that. Yeah, absolutely. Like that's why it's, you know, people I think I learned it when I was working as a server when I was like 17 or something. I was at a restaurant and what do they call it? They call it, you need to have a sense of urgency. And 
And I started thinking about that when I was younger and I was like, oh, okay, you get more stuff done in less time. And, you know, and then I started thinking to myself just in the past few years or something. And I'm like, eternity's forever. What am I rushing for? <laughs> like, There's no need. So I do, I do things slow. And um, it's funny because when you allow yourself to slow down and deliberately do things slow, then all things of a sudden- Things actually happen faster. Things happen faster. And then also you start to find your own pace. And this is something yeah. that I think is so important and so uplifting and so magical and so liberating is the fact that if you can start to if you can start to realize that you have every person has their own rhythm right you have your own vibration there's something so magical that exists within all of us and if you emit your own vibration which is who you truly are you are doing the greatest service for yourself and for everybody and that's what I think I, that's probably my biggest message to people um, is to emit your own vibration, find your own thing, right? We, people always want to so follow these different factions and different ideologies and different things and, you know, whatever it may be. But at the end of the day, it's like, who are you at your core? Like, because yeah. your own vibration is something you discover, but it's also something that you create. But the biggest key is that it comes from within yourself. So that's why when I allowed myself to, and I told myself to deliberately do things really slow, like if I'm going to go, if I'm at a job at, at work and I have to do, you know, I have to fix something or whatever, I'm like, take your, just take all the time in the world and just do it so slow. And then all of a sudden I started figuring out that, oh, I just feel pretty good. And then I started getting into a, a rhythm that was my own. It wasn't because, you know, like if I had just kept on rushing to do things because I think that's what society wants, you know, like yeah. that's the, that's where you get into those, those, those crutches or the, that's when you get into those pickles, I should say. So, um, yeah, it's find your so own much people pleasing of like, you know, who are we trying to keep up with or why? Um, yeah, I don't know. Like it's, it's interesting. It's like when you're, when you allow, instead of trying to force, or, I mean, it's not even, I almost, I'm almost even getting away from the word manifesting because it really is an allowing. It's not, you're not forcing things into being, you're kind of sitting back and letting them show up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I think, you know, that's, there's that saying that, that Neville was, he was always quoting, um, I always forget this guy's name. I always want to call him Emerson. It's every time I always want to say Emerson, but it's not. Um, his name's failing me right now, but it's okay. I'll just say the saying, God became man so that man could become God, right? And Neville would always talk about how God is giving the gift of himself to us all through us. And it's through a process of individuation right? So we're only ever becoming more individualized. We're only ever becoming more of who we actually are. And it's different. It's like snowflakes, right? And that's the beautiful thing about all of this. It's like, you don't have to lose people in the spiritual community talk about how you have to lose your ego. It's like, in a certain way, the ego is what you, you actually almost need to gain your ego. Right. Uh, it's like you have to gain the individualized part of yourself 
And that's what I want to see from people. I think the people I've looked up to most in my life have always been the ones who were most themselves. And so I think that's just, I don't know. I, I cause that's when I, I think there's that problem, like where I've, I've felt like for the longest time that life was always happening to me as opposed to me happening to life, you know? And I think that's one of the best feelings in the world is like when you understand something, I know like when I started like learning how to fix things and, and that's why I like doing it so much is because I'm like, Oh, I understand this. Or when I was in school and I learned, you know, uh, physics or whatever. And it was so, a concept that I understood when I understand something, it feels so good to me. And so when you start to understand yourself and you start to understand the concepts of life and the laws of nature and the laws of the universe and all that sort of stuff, you start to, you, you, you're gaining your power back, right? Because God became man so that man could become God. So God took on the limitations of man to only be able to have that come back as a gift, the, the powers of God come back as a gift. So it's like, we're all God and we're all remembering that we have this power within ourselves and the way that we appreciate that power is by losing it. That's why God became who we are. And that's the beautiful thing about all of it is like when you go through these transformation processes, it takes you going uh, through the limitations of mankind, which is complex PTSD, anxiety, depression, rage, jealousy, poverty, like anything that you could think of. Those are the limitations of man. Right. And you go to the limit of contraction, which is where you feel so weak and so hollow and so uh, deplete of any sort of light. And then to start to have that slowly come back and build up within yourself, you appreciate it that much more. And um, it's just a beautiful process. And that's why I love being your friend and I get to witness your your development. And I'm stoked for you that you, you've been having some wins with the ketamine therapy and that like you're starting to be able to have more and more of that light come back to you. And I think that's where we're all headed is just the glory of God. And it's a glory uh, that is, you know, beyond anything that we can truly comprehend. It's a mag magnitudes greater than anything we can truly comprehend in the moment. And it's exciting to witness it all come together. So, yeah, definitely. I think that like the biggest challenge for people is our human brains want everything to be completed now <laughs> yeah <laughs> right like i i yeah. like ptsd needs to be over tomorrow I, i'm two <laughs> yeah. weeks in this is supposed to be done yep. um there's just so much grace that needs to be had when you're going through these things of just allowing your body to come back online and also yep. trusting the miracle that our bodies are um i heard this a couple weeks ago and it hit me so good healing is the love language of the body our yeah. body is always healing. Um, we may think that it's, you know, torturing us or attacking. It. I hate it when I, people say, you know, that your immune system is attacking itself. No, your immune system is not attacking itself. It's giving you a signal. Something's not working. And your body will intrinsically heal if you remove the thing that is offending it. Our bodies are wired for healing. And it's it's insane because even at the age of 47, I've had back pain go away and I've had, you know, I think I see the chiropractor twice a year instead of, you know, four times a month. I mean, the number of things that will begin to heal in your body 
if you are willing to believe it and willing to allow it and also willing to do the work of making the changes of eating clean and meditating and drinking a damn glass of water every now and then. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it's Dr. Hawkins always said that healing is mental, spiritual, and physical. And I believe that you definitely cannot get there without incorporating all three things. Yeah. uh, 100%. And that's the joy of doing like, you know how I remember one time when I was, uh, this is the first time I realized like how good water was. Um, and I remember this very vividly. Like we were playing dodgeball when I was in like the fourth grade and I was having so much fun and I was sweating. And like, we were just, I don't know how long we played dodgeball for. I was such a young kid at that point. So it could have been just 45 minutes, but to me, it felt like it was the entire day that we were playing dodgeball. I was just that into it, but I was sweating so much. And then there was a line to get to the water fountain. And, uh, I don't know where I was in the line, but I remember when I finally got up to the water fountain and I started drinking that water, it was one of the most heavenly experiences I've ever had in my life. And that was city water. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, Like, it wasn't even blessed or it wasn't even blessed. It's like, wasn't filtered. (laughs) Yeah. It wasn't any of the, but that's the thing. It's like, there's all these things that we have to do, but if you can learn to go about them in a way where it feels good, And it doesn't feel like work because at the end of the day, it is work. You have to do it. I love what you just described though, because, you know, I'm a pretty big fan of the course in miracles and I did not do the churchy Marianne Williamson version. Um, I think a lot of people think that Marianne Williamson wrote a course in miracles. A course in miracles is, uh, does not have a copyright. It doesn't have an author. It's just a set of lessons. And so there are dozens of different, a course in miracles teachers and I happen to love the, it's called the fun version of Course in Miracles experiment, where she kind of sings songs and there's swear words. And it's totally my style, right? Like, I don't like my spirituality to be, to be serious. But what you just described of the enjoyment of the water, like, think about all of the baggage that we have by the time we're this age, right? Like, you didn't give a shit that it was city water. Yeah. Yep. All you cared about was this wonderful, refreshing drink of water that you got to have. And in A Course in Miracles, the Course in Miracles is essentially a course in forgiveness. And you're forgiving everything, including the chemicals in the water. And the fact that my body is intelligent enough to know what to do instead of looking at it as this water is going to attack me. I better filter it. It's going to hurt me. We are living embodiments of miracles. I mean, if you just think about the billions of biological processes that are happening in your body right now, without you giving it any instruction, you can drink the water. Yeah. Yeah. The and world is safe. Big. Like, you know, Republicans and Democrats. Yes. Like the world is safe. God made everything, even the things you don't like, even the chlorine in the water. You know, it's just, we forget the miracle. That's what I'm saying. And this is like where we get to rediscover because God is all powerful, right? And if God became all of us so that we could become God again, it we're, we're here to rediscover that power. And so there's like the alchemy thing of like turning lead into gold, right? And that's something that I've always loved where you turn something that should be so bad. It's the for healing you. journey. Yes. Right, right. So it's like, um, for the longest time, like going to the Czech Institute, you know, I had eaten a completely organic diet for seven years and I never once failed. I never once had a cheat meal. I, I did. And I 
was still sick, you know? And then I went the other direction. I was like, you know what? Screw this. This is something that's terrible. Like I should be able to eat whatever I want. And that alchemy principle, I'm like, I knew I was a spirit. So I was like, you know, I was going out and just eating whatever, like, and I did too much of that. And this is where you got to kind of strike a balance, right? And I try to generally eat healthy, but if I want a Kit Kat or something, I'm going to go eat it. And not um, be afraid. Just and, yeah, eat it and fucking enjoy it. Exactly. And enjoy it like a child, right? Because yes. to enter the kingdom of heaven, you have to become like a child, right? So you also, like, we have to be adults. Um, so it's kind of like a weird... We're like it is a balance. That. We can't live on ice cream 24-7. No. But no. we can go through the world without realizing that everything is going to harm us. Or I mean, you you I know you and I agree on the principle of doc, you know, that Dr. Hawkins teaches is that like we our birth and our life and our, our birth and our death are predetermined and how we die is up to us. And so we may think that we have control, but I feel like the belief in control is one of the biggest things that makes us ill. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's like why it says in the Bible, it's like, there's nothing that's unclean, you know, in it of itself, what makes it unclean is how you do it. You know? So if you're going to sit there and eat crappy food all the time, that's the wrong way to do that. But right. Yeah. So I love the idea of alchemy. I love the idea of being able to turn something um that's ba basically worthless into gold you know into the uh, thing that fuels you empowers you right. not just right. it's not just transforming it it's like you're literally turning the lead the thing that was holding you down right and it's also it's always the context right because think about it this way too like when i was a kid i had so much fun playing dodgeball right and i'm getting exercise and i was sweating and so I was probably, I was good parasympathetic really state. Yeah. Right. I was in a parasympathetic state and I was really thirsty. I, I mean, I could have drinking about just about anything at that moment and I would have loved it <laughs> equally. Like, and uh, that's the point. So if you can start to develop those uh, contextual, envir contextual environments in which the thing you're doing serves you, you're going to enjoy it that much more. So it's like, instead of forcing yourself to drink water, how about you get yourself into a position where you're thirsty, right? Um, yeah. And it's like, instead of forcing yourself to uh, go to bed on time, how about spend yourself your energy, out. <laughs> yeah, spend your energy doing a bunch of fun things instead of moping around all day and then go to bed tired and you're going to get the best sleep ever, you know? Yeah, for sure. So, Sometimes life gets in the way, like I've had it this this week. And, you know, it was a series of, you know, choices I made that probably weren't the best. But then also at the same time, just other things happened. And then, you know, yesterday I had after work was just had zero energy. And I just laid on the couch almost all night. And then I slept for nine hours. Um, and that's fine. You know, uh, I think allowing yourself, like you were saying, the body, the body's love language is healing. Um, I think people feel like they have to heal. And this is, this is kind of, I don't know if I'm going to be able to explain this, but people feel like they have to heal. Um, and they're desperate for healing. 
here's something I would offer people to play around with. And this is something that really, really changed my whole outlook on healing is like, what if you're not meant to heal? And I don't want right. this to scare people. I don't want this to scare people. And like, oh God, I'm going to have an illness my whole life. But what if everything that you've been through in your life, you were exact, like the way it went, what if you were meant to go through it in that exact way? In the um, subtle art of not giving a fuck, there's this great section where they talk about uh, Charles Bukowski. I don't think, I don't know if I said his last name right. The author. But essentially what they're saying is that like, you know what? He was like a drunk and a womanizer <laughs> and he just didn't give a fuck. He never tried to fix himself. He didn't want to change. And he just did his fucking thing. Yep. Yep. There, he didn't give a fuck. Yeah. Like, I mean, there, there's definitely an element of healing where there, there are times where you need to give a lot less of a fuck. It's not that you, you know, it's like you just explained you ate a perfectly organic diet for seven years and the needle didn't move. Yeah. Nope. I, I wasn't, I was probably a little bit better. I felt better about myself that I was making good changes in my life and I was doing something different, but I still had anxiety. I still had panic attacks. I still had stomach problems, you know, like it didn't, it didn't. Your body's still in fight or flight. Still in fight or flight. Exactly. Right. Um, and that's the point, like, yeah, with the guy who's the womanizer and all that sort of thing. It's like, just remember at the end of the day, we're all here playing parts. And I saw this thing about um, who's the, oh God, this lady, you would know her. Uh, Phil Swan. No, name another, uh, Dolores Cannon. There it is. Oh yeah, yeah. I love her. I think it's Dolores Cannon or no, it's a different lady. Her daughter, Julia. I can't remember who it is, but she was. Once you tell me the story, I'll know. I bet. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, she was telling this story about how um, these, like on the other side, souls can meet together and they can plan out their lives for how they're going to achieve the most growth, right? Right. And uh, and so it's like she's like the souls can convene at this almost like bus stop where they're kind of chatting to each other and like. Hey, what are you planning for your next life? And then one soul goes like, I really want to go for it. Like, I really, really want to get the most growth. And I know for that to happen, like 10 out of 10, I want the most growth. I just want to go for it because I don't want to, I don't want to live five lifetimes in a row to achieve the same amount of growth. I just want to get through it. You know, I'm ready to grow. And they're like, well, that's going to take a lot of pain. Like, what, what are you thinking? And they're like, well, I, and what do you want to grow in? And they're like, oh, I want to learn forgiveness more. And it's like, so I need something really painful to happen. Well, like maybe I could have uh, a drunk driver hit my car and then kill my entire family. And then I will have to learn how to forgive that person for the rest of my life. And it's going to be painful and I'm not going to be good at it. And, but I'm going to keep trying and that's what's going to allow my soul to grow. And she's like, yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to do. I've decided that's what I'm going to do. And then she's like, I need somebody to volunteer to be the drunk driver though. And then nobody kind of wanted to do it. And then finally like one soul's like, all right, I'll do it. Like I'll go down there because I need to learn uh, self-forgiveness too. So I might as well. And they're like, all right, I'll see you down there. And so this is how this goes sometimes. It's like we enter into these things for a purpose, right? Yeah. So we we condemn the the drunk driver. We condemn them to hell 
Oh, you know, well, we condemn like, everything. We're, you know, we're, we're, yeah. Christ- we're we have, you know, everybody's Baptist Christian, even if they're not or Catholic, you know what I mean? Like, right. right. And we condemn our, uh, we condemn our uh, illness, whether it be mental yeah. or physical or yeah. both, right? We condemn the PTSD. Or we, we, or condemn- we shame, right? Like we, it's like you said, we're ashamed of the shame. Like yeah, I'm supposed to be, you know, I'm supposed to be an image of God. Why yep. the fuck am I not? You know what I mean? Why am I not walking on water? Exactly. You're like, I've done all this work and uh, how come I, I'm still ill. And, and then you start to resent the illness and you, you like, the, it's a weird thing, but like people say like, you know, geez, what's the saying for it? It's like, I guess it's like, learn to be grateful. And it's like, accept your illness. It's like, people don't understand how good like the amount of good that your illness is doing for your soul just think about that for a second right we want to get rid of it like you said we want this gone tomorrow yeah well it's like do you really want it gone tomorrow because if it's gone tomorrow then you might have to come back into another life because you haven't learned this lesson completely right so you can maybe space out your pain between 10 lives if you want. You can get it done in one life. I don't know how it's all working. All I'm trying to let people, uh, all I'm trying to offer to people is an ability to be liberated from your current thoughts about what your sickness is. Right. Radical you know? acceptance and radical forgiveness. Because, you know, obviously what I learned, I mean, I, I knew what was going to happen when I made the comments about the shooting. I knew that the Republicans and the gun people were going to come for me. Um, yep. And I just stepped right into it. Like there was just this, okay, like, I don't care. This is how my heart feels about it. I accept this. Um, obviously, you know, I didn't, <laughs> I didn't open myself up and just, you know, allow people to make death threats and whatever. But radical forgiveness is really difficult. I never imagined in a million years that I would be in the position of knowing someone who shot up a school, but I didn't have to forgive her because I had, you know what I mean? Like I already had compassion for the situation. The moment the text messages came across my phone, like literally I was in an acupuncture appointment and I come out of the appointment, look at my cell phone and there's a message from CNN that says, Audrey Hale, you know, blah, 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 you know, says about the shooting. And I immediately, like the first thought in my head was, oh my God, Audrey committed suicide. Like I didn't have to forgive her. I had, you know what I mean? Like I had forgiven her before it even happened. And so my natural reaction to the entire situation was compassion. And it's fascinating how these people who claim to be so religious and so loving and so forgiving and so godly are not the people who are in the front of the line saying, I want to forgive this person. I don't understand what or why, but, you know, I felt like I was one of the only people that spoke publicly about the fact that the devil did not shoot up a school. Evil did not do this. This was a person with a mental health issue that did not get resolved in the right way. And the more compassion that we can have for the situation, I don't know, maybe we can learn from it. Maybe we cannot do it again, but you know, it's the South. They would rather just burn 
burn crosses on everybody's lawn and point at everybody and, you know, call names. It's, it's such a, it's such a talking out of both sides of the mouth situation. Well, because they said that, that, um, they're like seven people died that day. And it, and your whole point was eight people died. No. So, yeah, it was six. Uh, yeah, it was six people. And, and, uh, and I said seven people died, but yeah, you're right. Nobody wanted to acknowledge that. And I think, you know, the other, I mean, I'm not saying poor me and I'm not saying that she was the victim, but I watched somebody who used to bring a teddy bear to my classroom get shot up on YouTube. Yeah. Yeah. Like I watched her grieve for a year and I knew something was boiling and I didn't know what, and no, obviously nobody knew, but I mean, I watched her pain grow and grow and grow. And I watched her not have the ability or the tools or the knowledge to find her way out of it. And I've seen a lot of people spin out with grief. That's the thing is that like, you know, if we talk about the drug overdoses and the dead ex-boyfriends and the, you know, homeless friend who ended up, you know, drinking himself to death, the number of times that I've seen people go through those situations and end up dead because of grieving is really sad. I mean, grief is massive and difficult, hard to talk about, hard to understand, hard to recognize when you're going through it because it takes a really long time. Like all those phases don't hit you at once. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's a couple years later. Sometimes it's, you know, right in the moment, you just don't really know how it's going to go. And it's almost like as a society, we're not even taught how to go through this. We're not taught how to help each other through it. And a lot of times grief is, you know, grieving a life that you thought you were going to have. It's not always that somebody died. And so even being able to recognize that of like, you know, your sometimes your grief is just the life that you haven't been living. Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes like, like the, the, what, if people like with everything that you're feeling mentally, emotionally, and even physically, because they're all related, right? So if, if you feel grief, you feel it in your body. It's a very physical thing. Your chest tightens and absolutely your throat closes up. And so all of these things are related, but it's like at the end of the day, all the pain is the same pain. It's separation pains, right? It's separation from who we truly are, right? And it's separation from God, right? So that's been a big thing for me that's helped me so much is to kind of clump it all together. Like whether I have grief of losing a friend, like I just lost my best friend two months ago, you know, and um, it's recognizing that all the pain that you feel, like you said, grief of a life that you thought you, you should have or something. um, It's all the same pain at the end of the day. We think it's these other things, but at the end of the day, it really is just separation from God. It's separation pains. And that's where I started to learn that, oh, there is um, choice here for me and there's power, right? Because I now, when I realize and I don't separate these pains into, oh, I lost my job and I'm, or my, my 
girlfriend broke up with me or whatever it may be, the pain I really am experiencing deep down is the fact that I'm separated from who I truly am. Well, now when I know that, I have an opportunity to connect, to choose to connect with who I truly am, to discover that. Because that's like the whole map of consciousness thing, right? When you ascend up on that map of consciousness, like what is it with peace, right? Peace uh, is is almost to the top of the map of consciousness. When you're in a state of peace, that's, um, I, mean, I have the map of consciousness. It's like one right step below enlightenment. It's one step below enlightenment, right? And so the God view of peace is all being, right? So, well, and in A Course in Miracles, the prayer is trust would solve all problems now. I mean, there are many, but that's one of my favorite, you know, really short ones that just reminds me that like, I can just be at peace in this moment. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, and the, the emotion associated with a state of peace is bliss, right? So there's, if you start to recognize that, oh, I can just be okay. Like, I don't need anything. And I don't need to know what's happening next. I can just trust. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Like, everything is there for your taking. You know, you just take the time. And who knows where we're all at on this rung of the map of consciousness, you know, like how far are we away from enlightenment? These are all questions of the mind. And it's like, it doesn't, I'm just here for, for it all. You know, if I'm, if I'm going to be sad tomorrow, then I'm here for that. Like, I understand there's a purpose to it. I just kind of, I'm, I'm kind of good at going with the, the flow. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess the, I guess I, I'm starting to compartmentalize uh, a lot of this stuff because the subtle art of not giving a fuck, like that book that you told me about, people are constantly looking um, for how to develop themselves, right? You're reading all the self-development yes. books, self-help books. And, and it can be very addictive. It's addictive. Or, or never-ending rabbit hole. Never-ending rabbit hole. There it is. That's That's the point. Is You're like, never going to run out of things that you don't like about yourself. Yeah, never. Exactly. Exactly. There's no shortage of insecurity in your life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or mine, right? Like, yeah. Plenty of things I hate about myself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But just recognizing that, oh, like. Yes. I would, it was so funny because the moment I read Subtle Art, I was like, damn, I think I'm a self help addict. I think I need to go like read some fiction. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's that's the point is like stop fixing you in- yourself and just enjoy your fucking life. Yeah, and if you enjoy reading a self-development book, then power to you. But the thing is is like recognize you need awareness. Am yes. I in a rabbit hole right now? Yeah. Like yeah. is my energy going down or is my energy going up from whatever activity I'm doing? Yeah. And for me, it was really funny because the order of books that happened was healing developmental trauma, which was like the roadmap to everything. I all like it answered all the questions. And then right after that, I read subtle art of not giving a fuck, which was perfect. I was like, okay, I just answered all my questions. And then I had permission to stop, like stop the investigation. Like just you've, you've found, you know, you found the suspect. He went to court. He's in jail. 
You can stop <laughs> yeah. looking for him now. The <laughs> exactly. assignment is over. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And then, and then, like I said, figure out and then figure out how to manage it, you know, like, okay, what's going to work. Th there's a beautiful concept in most like spiritual, spiritual uh, texts. And it's the concept of grace, you know, like, yeah. and that's the thing about grace is like, grace means you didn't You're do just anything. okay with it. Yeah. Well, grace and nobody, we, none of us did do anything right. Like if you look at epigenetics, like most of our shit came from generations ago and we're yeah. still reacting to, you know, our great grandpa, you know, in the war. I mean, yep. most of our great grandparents went through depression, war, poverty, you know, fill in all the blanks. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And here we are in our bougie houses with our $700 supercomputer iPhones that 90% of the population, you know what I mean? It's just, it's, the amount of abundance that we live in and bitch about is almost insane. It's it's yeah, it's actually quite incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the grace thing is like recognizing that grace can heal you instantaneously. Yeah. By the power of grace, you can all of your, PTSD, panic attacks, depression, whatever it is, can be gone in an instant by grace. And grace will heal you without you doing anything to deserve the healing in the first place. That's what grace is. So right. if grace exists, that's just enough of a blessing to know that it exists. So that way, like if you if if you're doing everything you can to heal yourself. Or like, let's scratch that. Let's say you're doing 50% of like maybe what you should be doing to heal yourself. That's a good, that's a pretty good amount of stuff you're doing. Um, and that should cover the bases. Like if you cover the bases and generally just try to be healthy, you meditate, you're aware of your thoughts and your emotions, and you kind of, you're doing some basic self-development stuff and you're eating a good diet, just have your bases covered. Like we just have to meet God halfway. Just take care of your own responsibilities. And then beyond that, give it all to the universe because it's really up to grace to like, if you are still experiencing pain and all of that sort of stuff, even if you're doing what you should be doing for your health, then that pain is there for a reason. And you're definitely so, not in grace. Yeah. Well, and it's like, accept it. Like I remember hearing that guy who had a memory of what happened before he was born. And he spoke to a soul that was just emanating this power and this, this uh, joy from his soul. And he like went up to the guy and he's like, he's like, I see you emanating this, this like vibration from your soul. And it's just so attractive. And like, it's like illuminating. Like what, what is it? Where, where'd you get this? He's like, Oh yeah. He's like, I, I feel this good. And it's because I chose to go, incarnate into a life on earth where I experienced a chronic disease my whole life and I had to learn to manage it and overcome it. So the, your illness is like serving you. So just, I just kind of want to reframe. I know Regina uh, Meredith has had someone on who said uh, there are a long list of people, like lines of people waiting to come be in earth bodies as handy. Like that is like one of the most, I mean, I know Dr. Hawkins says that like, in a human experience, 
we have the opportunity to make the largest leaps in consciousness, right? Like, yes, we can go to the other side in spirit form and da da da. But as a human, because we're in this density and we're forcing ourselves out of the density to experience love and forgiveness and grace, those are the largest leaps in consciousness that we can make here on this planet in this dense form. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's like, all of this is here for a reason. So everything you're experiencing, it's actually a good thing. And that is one thing I did learn from a psychedelic journey with my DMT experience, where I was told that everything bad that has ever happened or ever will happen or ever will happen is used as a tool by the universe to create the most glorious experience we could ever have. So that's everything. And it, if you really like take that statement as truth and you start contemplating it, it'll start to fuck with your head for a little bit because then your next thought is like, okay, everything bad that's ever happened or ever will happen is used by a tool by the universe to create the most glorious experience we could ever have. Um, okay. So what bad has happened? Oh, then your first thought is like, oh, Ted Bundy. <laughs> right. Everybody's you know? first thought is like, you know, oh, the children, what about all the wars? You know, yeah. yeah. I mean, exactly. there are there are atrocities that we all know have happened to you know generations, and that's and that and there's like some grotesque, like the the devil in a in a certain sense is real, like right, like evil is real. It's like it's grotesque. It's a it's a it's a slimy and it's disgusting and it's unfathomable. It's like unforgivable, and you start to think about all these different you know, murder. Is it really evil? Just the lack of light. Well, I think, I think here's the deal. I mean, it's, it's like, still consciousness and. Yeah. And it's, it's, I, I guess the there's the kind of that with that, you know, we live in a duality and we have a, you know, like even our brain is, you know what I mean? It's like, we live in a duality where wonderfulness would not exist without, without contrast, right. Without, yeah. all of the awfulness and garbage we wouldn't be like it's just like joy if we were joyful 100 of the time how would we know yeah absolutely we, we wouldn't know it, we wouldn't know and but that's this is where you have to learn to navigate that that plane because it as much as it goes in the direction of love it goes in the other direction too which is right some pretty nasty stuff and this is where I start to to think about how um sorry I have a call coming in. Um I start to think about how lucky I am with whatever evil I'm currently dealing with or what I what I would say quote unquote evil like if I'm dealing with trauma or PTSD symptoms or something like that I'm like this is like heaven compared to being tortured by a serial killer you know whatever I'm dealing with like there's probably people who have been you know, being tortured before and they they would give anything to be in my position where you just have to deal with anxiety and panic attacks and stuff like that, you know? And yeah. that's, it's just putting context. It's contextualizing your and reframing how you think about what you're going through. Because at the end of the day, there's plenty of experiences that are far worse than what you're going through. And if you can take the lessons from your your illness and like what it's showing you, I've had enough darkness in my life right now where I appreciate the little things. Like I appreciate uh, being able to sit on my couch 
at night and just be at peace and just have a silent room, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe I I had anxiety that day. Um, Maybe things didn't go exactly the way I wanted. Maybe I'm exhausted and tired, but whatever, I'm sitting in a beautiful home, you know, and I'm not, I'm not in a concentration camp uh, with some evil dictator, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So however, like, this is a thought I had too, which is that, um, is like, however bad you have it, it could always be worse. Right. And I started to think about that and I was like, okay, so let me think about some situations. So, like what's like the worst thing you could imagine. And maybe one of the things I, at least for me, it's like getting captured by some crazy lunatic serial killer and he's torturing me. I'm like, how could it be worse than that? I'm like, well, um, you could have, another really bad pandemic happened in the world while you're being tortured. Um, You could also have the serial killer all of a sudden say, oh, I'm going to go capture your family too. And then all of a sudden they capture your family and then they bring them in that room and then you're all being tortured together and it's just miserable. You know, it can always be worse. Always. I don't think there's a limit to how much worse it could be. Right. Like you, you could, it's like, well, what's worse than that? Well, there is something worse than that. If you spend the time imagining it, you'll probably find something, right. worse than that, you know? So it's yeah. never ending, but it's also never ending in the other direction too, with love. So if you realize that there's no limit to love, then just go in that direction as much as you can, you know? And uh, if you have it's shame. It's kind of like the, it kind of like the 12 steps, right? You just do the next most right thing. Yeah, absolutely. Forever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's quite beautiful. So um well cool. This is uh um this has been great. I think uh unless you have anything else that you wanna chat about for this podcast. No, I think we're good. This has definitely been really good. I knew that we would have an interesting conversation just because we're both pretty dynamic and pretty far on the path. And you know, the other thing that I, uh, the quote that you shared a couple of weeks ago that I've been like repeating probably every couple of days, um, that whole thing of, you know, when the, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, but when the student is ready, the teacher disappears. And I kind of keep going back to this whole thing of like, until you're not doing a protocol, you haven't healed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's, there's room for practices right and that's why i like the practice is different than protocol protocol means somebody else has developed something and you're following their regimen yeah practice is like just like when i was saying about emitting your own vibration finding your own rhythm finding your own structure this is where you develop these things like like for me i love to go over to the creek by my place and i like to sit there and I'll, I'll play a Tibetan singing bowl or I'll just sit with my feet in the water and just look over at the sky and then, or I'll listen to music, you know, just, it's the point of getting outside in the sunlight with my feet on the ground in the water. Um, and then other things like meditation, meditation's a practice. Like you just keep doing it. And yes, so that it's, even once you're healed, because I've thought about that a lot, just like once you're finally like, what it, what would it be like to be completely devoid of any sort of negative energy in your body and mind? 
Don't you think you would automatically look for something to bitch about? Like I said before, like, you know, things can be really great, but my, my brain knows how to go look for something to complain about. Well, that's, that's an illness within itself, right? Of because course it is. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, there is that perfect being, right? Which is, is full love, full, um, illumination, right? That's what that enlightenment is, right? It's perpetual bliss. And so when you try to imagine what that's like, it's like Neville Goddard always said, heaven isn't a realm, it's a body. And the body reflects everything that's happening in your, in your mind and in your soul and all that sort of stuff. And you notice it, right? Because it's like, it's like if you're sitting there and you're just trying to be peaceful and then there's a fly, just constantly <laughs> that landing. happened to me the other day oh my god i was like if god wanted me to meditate then the fly would not be landing on my knee my elbow my shit my nose right. my eye yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> exactly and that's what having like uh any sort of mental health or even physical because often they're combined right like mental right. health like yeah. anxiety is yeah. felt within the body yes depression Same. definitely a lot of times people have physical pain instead of Oh, I feel depressed emotionally. Like some people can't tell the difference. Right. Exactly. So that's, that's the point is like that body exists in which you're full of vital life force and there's no restrictions in your body. There's no, Oh, my, my neck hurts or there's this twinge in, in my lower back or, um, Oh, my chest feels kind of tight. Oh, my breathing feels a little bit labored. Um, so that body does exist in which you're free from all of that. And, and the fly. And the fly, right? Exactly. So <laughs> it's it's within these things. So it's like I kind of would I, I think about this a lot, and I haven't gotten to that point yet. So I can't tell you exactly what it's like, but you do create it by imagining, well, what is it like? And um for me, it it, it does get to that point. And I think that's where that vigilance is just so that hypervigilance is so embedded into me that I can imagine what my body would feel like if I was free from all of that stuff. Like, you know, I don't have the stomach pains or the chest tightness or my back is achy, feels like it's on fire. Oh, my neck muscles. I can tell they're just completely clenched and they don't want to let go. And um, I can actually feel almost what it would feel like if all of that was gone. But then what I notice, I'm like the, the, the hump that I'm at that I can't get over in my imagination yet is if all of that's gone, then, then my first thought is like, when's it going to come back? <laughs> you know, it can't be yeah. this way forever. Like what's around the corner, what's around the corner. Like, um, and that's such a PTSD that, response of like not feeling is. safe in the safety. Right. Exactly. And to, to that point, I think the only thing, and this is what I'm going to be really working on over this next period of time is overcoming all of those fears of like, um, you know, we have our triggers for like what triggers your uh, anxiety or whatever. And right, I know right. what my triggers are. And so my goal is to start doing those things more and more and more. Just like we've talked, this is a good, you know, callback to the beginning of the conversation where we were talking about, um, you know, exposing yourself to stressors on yes. your own volition, right? Because if 
if I truly want to be better, I have to put myself in pretty stressful situations um, and know that I'm going to be okay. So that's what I'm going to start doing is I'm going to start going into those situations more and more and more and more. And it reminds me of that movie, The Little Buddha with Keanu Reeves, which is a movie about Buddha's life. It's an excellent movie. Um, and at the end of the movie, like after Siddhartha goes through, which is Keanu Reeves, goes through the whole process of becoming the Buddha, he finally comes to the final test. And you see um, Buddha just meditating on like a cliff and the entire universe is raining down on him with like thunder and meteors and all this stuff. And nothing changes his state, not even the entire universe collapsing on him. And that's the point. Like that's that true enlightenment when it does not matter what is happening in you or around you, you're there's who you truly are and you know it. And that's who you are. And you'll never stop being that. It doesn't matter what's happening. And so that's the end goal. But to get there, you got to start doing the little things. You got to get into those you know, if you have social anxiety, you got to put yourself in social situations and, you know, like yeah. you, in, instead of the universe, be awkward. Rain, yeah, you got to go, you got to go into those awkward situations. It starts there. So yeah. that's. Well, and I think we, I totally forgot to say this when we started, but part of the reason we really wanted to record today, obviously I wanted to share about how it was going with my ketamine therapy, but Joey is uh, a huge fan of Dr. Joe Dispenza and he does go to the, uh, some of the advanced meditation um, retreats and he's about to go to a meditation. So we wanted to do a little bit of recording before, and then probably, I don't know, a couple of weeks or months after, um, just so that we can, he can kind of share his before and after of doing those really like doing the actual real intense work all the time, not just when we remember, um, but being consistent and, uh, you know, giving our brains space to, you know, to go back into that love language of, you know, healing is the love language of the body. Yep. Yeah. So I'll be going to Dr. Joe's week long events in two days and it's seven days long. And some of the days nice. you start at 4 a.m. 4 and you end at 9 p.m. And I'm going to be around 1,800 other individuals who are there for the same purpose, which is to heal and to get better and, and to go into the unknown and discover parts of themselves. And it's going to be great. They're going to have the University of San Diego there doing a, a few studies on the participants. Oh, nice. uh, <laughs> I could have elected to be a lab rat for that, but I didn't quite feel like having the heart monitors and the EEG stuff on my brain, on my head. Right. And yeah. then you also have to collect saliva, blood and urine and stool. And so I didn't really feel like going through all that, but um, the University of San Diego is going to be there because Dr. Joe's developed quite a, uh, an awesome community of people where uh, you have kind of an environment where uh scientists aren't able to explore this type of stuff all the time because that environment doesn't just exist everywhere where you have 1800 people in a room meditating all day long on love and joy. And I'm a big fan of Dr. Joe and I love all the people in his community and everybody who's done uh, the work there and people have healed themselves of X, Y, Z disease, you know, whether it be, blindness, cancer, multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, you know, you name the, the disease and somebody's overcome 
that to some degree. Uh, a lot of people who have had stage four cancer completely disappear. Um, blindness, like I said, being restored, they can now see in these people. I think some of the people were even blind from birth. Um, so it, this all sounds kind of wacky and wild. Um, I'm so used to this because I've studied it so much. I've heard people's testimonials. And so it's nothing new to me, but um, I I love that community so much. And the energy is very palpable. Like the last meditation event I went to was his Denver progressive and it was a three day. And there's something so magical when you're sitting in a room with at that retreat, it was 3000 people and you had 3000 people all focusing on love and becoming who they truly want to be manifesting the life they want to have as if it's real in that moment. So if you just imagine 3,000 people tuning into the highest vibrational emotional state that you can feel, they're practicing feeling love. Like they're, they're intent on doing that and making that alive with them in themselves. And there were quite a few times I just, I had to keep my eyes open, even though it was a meditation. And I just had to look around the room because it was a sight to see. Like if you took a picture of it, you just see 3,000 people sitting in chairs. But when you're there, you feel something so powerful and so beautiful. And it just reminded me of what's to come with heaven on earth. I just see people connecting with each other. I see people um, full of love and people becoming, like I said, uh, with your emitting your own vibration. Like imagine living in a world where everybody is so fully themselves. What a sight to see. They're not a parrot of some ideology. They are a beautiful individual expression of God himself. And that's something so magical. And I'm excited because I have a lot of nerves going into the the event. Um, I'm going to be around 2,000 people for seven days straight. And I'm going into the unknown. I have my own issues, like I said, with my my own mental and physical health that I've gotten a lot better with over the years. And um, I almost sense something like a magical transformation coming. That's what most people say. You're completely changed after a week-long event. Um, so I kind of have some nerves about going into the unknown. Like, wh- who am I going to be when I come out? Uh, what am I going to experience while I'm there? People uh, at the week-long events, we do these... Uh, these healings where you essentially have eight people meditating around one other person who's a healy um, and they have some sort of disease, cancer, whatever. And eight people are focused on that one person and you have groups throughout, you know, there's 2000 people. So there's going to be lots of groups where eight people are sitting around one person. So it's a magical thing. If you can sit there and you can focus all your love and just recognize that this person in front of you, has something that they've been desperately trying to overcome themselves and look what they're doing. They showed up, they showed up to this event, they're nervous and they're going into the unknown and they're laying down with eight people around them and um, they're giving it their best shot. And just the amount of love, like there was a show that I saw recently that I loved. It's called The Chosen and it's on I think it's on Amazon Prime, but they also have their own app where you can watch the whole show for free. But 
it's about Jesus and his followers, and it's a long form series, just kind of like Stranger Things or Breaking Bad or whatever. But it's about Jesus and his and his followers, and there's a lot of scenes in there where you see Jesus heal somebody, and those scenes are so powerful. And this is the power I believe that we all have, where we can heal each other, um, just with with our minds and our energy. And so to be a part of that is just this is what I want to see in the world. You know, like I think we're, we're all sick of the the story that we've lived our whole lives of this is the material world and it's concrete and it's never going to change. It's always going to be like this. Aliens don't exist. You don't have any special powers of your mind. And, you know, you have, if you have an illness, you have to go to a medical doctor, they have to give you a pill um, and you're doomed and all that sort of stuff. I think we're all just sick of the, the story, I think we know we're starting to wake up this entire world and realize that, oh, we do come from the other side. Um, and the other side is real studying near death experiences. And plenty of people will tell you that. And so we're starting to wake up to who we truly are, which is we have these powers. So to be able to be a part of something where I can experience that and see it happen. And plenty of these people who go to these events, they go there and they'll have the remission of whatever disease they have at the event. And I spoke to one person uh, when I was at the last event and she said that her best friend had MS. And that's the way she said it had, she's like, yeah, my best friend had MS for six years. She was diagnosed. I don't know how many lesions she had on her brain or whatever, but um, she said she went to the event in a wheelchair and they both went to the event together. And she said her friend had been in a wheelchair for five years, never known her to be out of the wheelchair once couldn't walk and she saw her best friend standing up and dancing after one week and this is something that's interesting like a lot of people wouldn't believe that people are healing these types of diseases but like i said that i've studied this for so long that i've just it's it's normal to me now like where i'm like okay this is yeah okay sure yeah well, I mean, even just the placebo effect, somebody believing that the pill has medicine when it doesn't, just their yeah. belief and their hope. Yeah, absolutely. That they, like, that they got the right medicine and it's going to do the thing. 30%. I mean, that's scientifically significant. Yeah. And th this is the thing. Like, like th I don't think there's a damn thing we can't change in this world. And I think heaven on earth is coming and I'm not going to put a timestamp on it. There's a big part of me that feels like it's going to be in our lifetimes. Like, and I was just talking to my neighbor the other day about this. They're, they're moving and my uh, neighbor's uh, uh, a wife and a husband and they adopted two children. Um, they were, they've, they foster kids all the time and, um, they adopted two and these two kids were born of a mother who was addicted to drugs when she was pregnant with them. And so my neighbors are, they're, they're Christians and they're awesome people and they are just so full of love and they're doing the right thing. They're going out and they're not just having children of their own. They're trying to help the world. And that's the thing about, you just see people who are doing good things just to be good. There's plenty of people like that. Um, but I was talking to him and I was asking him about when does he think Jesus is coming back? And he's like, he's like, I really feel like this is going to be the life that uh, everybody starts to live forever. Like where you don't have to die in the traditional way where you grow old and your body gets wrinkly and, and breaks apart. And so there is a big part of me that feels like 
this is going to happen in this life too, where we're going to see the the coming of of heaven on earth. And that's my goal and my aspiration because I think it'd just be such a beautiful, cool thing to see. And uh, I think it starts with like what people like Dr. Joe um, is doing with the community, his community and um, where we have 2000 people gathering together and we're all there trying to heal with our energy. And just imagine what we could do if you had everybody in the world on that same page, you know, and that's what I aspire to see. But it's just wild to me that his community is already as big as it is. Um, Cause you have 2000 people. Yeah, he has to- millions. He has millions of followers like worldwide. It's yeah. He's right. definitely and- one of the people making a very big difference in the world for, for a lot of people, not just, you know, he's not just doing it for himself. He's helping people change their own lives. Yes, exactly. And like, I'm part of a group in Denver that's associated with Dr. Joe. It's called the power of love Denver. And we have about 40 people. There's about 90 people in the group, but usually about 40 people show up every two weeks for a group meditation and a healing. So we get together, we study a little bit of, of Dr. Joe's stuff. Then we do breath work for about 30, 45 minutes. Then we do a meditation for about an hour and 15 minutes together. And then uh, get together and do a healing for pe- for one or two people. And this group is 40 people right now. And I'm so blessed to be a part of this group. And I've like looked around and other people have said, God, I wish I had something like this in my state. They're over in Kansas or wherever they're at. And they don't have people in those other states don't have that opportunity because people aren't meeting together like that. And I just think this is about to proliferate like oh my god it's it's it this is gonna spiral so quickly and i think we're we're just such a precipice in life in general with everything you know the government's come out and basically said ufos are real you know we possibly have aliens coming down here possibly already here then you have ai is about to blow up and we're gonna have robots everywhere and then we have the whole spiritual awakening where Doctors are starting to change textbooks because people are having near-death experiences at such a high rate. And they're all saying the same thing, that love is real. I saw my loved ones who had passed on while I was dead. And um, so we're at a spiritual awakening, uh, a technological revolution, um, and also a revolution between uh, an interplanetary revolution where we we already probably have aliens here. And it's just wild times and I'm here for it. I mean, you know what they say, you know, the people who incarnated on earth at this time chose to be here and we're here for the show. So it's a know, good one. <laughs> it's a good show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, I think we're, you know, we're about due for like some is for like the good news scene and that like 2000 years of peace that we've been promised. Like we're, we're ready. <laughs> yeah. Like we're ready. We're, we're tired. Yeah. We're ready. <laughs> we're tired. <laughs> 100 <laughs> <laughs> percent. yeah it's it's like i said it's been it's been exhausting it's been uh it's been challenging and if to anybody who has done the work if anybody's listening to this right now and they've stuck it out and they've gotten past you know the 
the darkest times of their lives and they're still here and they're still moving forward. Like I salute you so much. And that's exactly what we need is just. And just, honestly, I feel like everybody who you just mentioned deserves to read the subtle art of not giving a fuck and to just yeah. learn how to dial it back. Like you've done the work you're doing yeah. the work. Yeah. You're, you're already there. Like you can stop striving. You're there. Yeah. Live a little bit. <laughs> you know, yes. just go, like, you go out for ice cream, go for a yeah. drive, go listen yeah. to your favorite song, dance, like yeah. just take, take yeah. a day off of the healing yourself and the self work. Yeah. Just, just go put your feet in the water somewhere. Go turn on a, a show, yeah, go, sure. go, hang out with some, go do something new, go, you know, whatever. Like I'm yeah, exactly. Like you and I have done plenty of, of work and probably people listening to this too. And I did get like, I think halfway through the, that book, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. And, and it's cool. Like it's, it's, it's what a wonderful feeling is liberation. And that's what that book provides, you know, and that's what all these things, they, they provide liberation. And um, it's like, I remember when I got, you know, my first car and I had, I got my license. And even before I had my license, I would just, kind of steal my car at night when my oh, parents- Oh, we did too. Yeah, we stole the cars and my yeah. sister would lend me her license. We did all the things. Right, exactly. Like <laughs> It exactly. was the 90s. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, it's like you're, like you're driving around with your friends and you're like, it was so oh, shit, cool. You didn't even, half the time you didn't even have anywhere to go. It's just like you're just yeah, cruising. Yeah, you're just driving you around. Know? You're just cruising. And that's the thing. Like As you become liberated, you, the vehicle- which is our body uh, is you can drive this vehicle with your spirit, right? And you can go to different places. Like you can learn astral travel and you can. Um, uh, Especially you know, when you're not all hung up on the rules, right? Because there are right. all these rules that we think that, you know, Oh, I'm going to go to hell if I no, because yeah. if God created everything and you are here for, the experience of consciousness you're supposed to play with your consciousness that should be part yes. of the rules yes i mean you can be pious all you want but i would rather you know like i personally felt somewhat obligated like once i heard about lsd it's the same thing about hearing about enlightenment right like they say that once you hear about enlightenment you're never going to be satisfied until you reach it right right yeah that's uh um yeah, and I think like the the road to enlightenment um, is just a fun journey, right? So like, it, it's There's like got to be a lot of like not giving a fuckness. I think when you get there. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's, it's a fun journey, and and like, you know, if there was a button right in front of me right now, Maria, that if I could press this button and immediately be in full on enlightenment, I'm not certain I would press it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I like the I like the journey to enlightenment. Like, well, and what does Greg Braden always say? Like, you know, everybody thinks that they want to be in spirit form, and I think even Doctor Joseph. I think I've heard them say it together or joke about it. Like, well, what's the point of being in a body? Well, like, how would you enjoy chocolate? Right? Like, there's so many yeah. physical yeah. experiences that are exquisite that we forget to celebrate like drinking a great cup of water, right? right? Or like having a good meal or a great conversation with somebody or watching a fucking sunset. Like that is one of the most exquisite experiences that 
we can have every morning when the sun rises and every night when the sun sets. And do we take the time to do that? Or are we sitting over here watching Netflix worried about the bills in the back of our minds? Yeah. Yeah. Or living in the actual miracle. You know, I I was uh, scrolling through TikTok uh, yesterday and because I was so tired after work, like I said, I just laid on the couch and I didn't do much and I was just scrolling TikTok and it was fine to decompress. And some, some guy came up on a live, he had a live thing and he said uh, his whole title behind him was God is imaginary, prove me wrong. So he's a, he's an atheist. Oh yes, I know who you're talking about. I see. Yes, I see him pretty regularly. I think I finally unsu- like I finally like did the not interested, but I see his debates all the time. Right. Yeah. So I saw the guy, and I decided like at first I couldn't I couldn't disagree with what he was saying, which was he's a great God debater. Is, he was saying God is imaginary, right? So that was the first thing, and I was like, totally, God is absolutely imaginary, just like Neville. But you can Goddard tell said. by all of the human attributes that humans give God, right? And just like <laughs> Neville Goddard, Neville Goddard says, God is all imagination, right? So. There's nothing you can't do in your imagination. You can walk on water right now in your imagination if you'd like. Right. And so God is imaginary, right? There's nothing there's nothing that you see around you that didn't first start in the mind of man, right? So if you look at your furniture, somebody thought of that first before it became a reality. And uh anyway, like I was just watching his what he was saying and I totally vibed with him on he's like he's like I He's like, what's your evidence for God? He and then somebody would just life. Yeah. So somebody would just say whatever. Create, like I, creation. I don't know. Like I have a hard time thinking of God as a separate entity versus like God just being everything. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't, yeah. I definitely, yeah, I have a really hard time. It's like t- you know, you take a drop of water out of the ocean. It's not the entire ocean, but it's still part of that. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. God is literally everything. And there's yes. nothing that isn't God because it's all the same, you know. And if I were to say that to that guy, he would he would have booted me off of his live so quickly because he was looking for concrete evidence. And I I if had I been on his live, I would have said, you know, look at near-death experiences. He's like, What's your evidence for God? Well, people are having near-death experiences where they're meeting God and they're seeing loved ones, and then he'd be like, Oh, well, that's a hallucination of the brain. I'll be like, Oh, well. There's stories of people exiting their body and then going into it's another room. It's also been proven without brain activity. It's it's not a hallucination. That's been proven over and over. Right. It's not a hallucination. And then, and also then he would want the study and you'd have to look up the study before you go yeah, debate. And that's, I know exactly who you're talking about. I can't think of his yeah. name. I sometimes enjoy his debates and, and sometimes they're ridiculous. I mean, the, the guy like at a couple points, like, you know, it, it's whatever it is, what it is. But like, I just, I, I, I he's also God. <laughs> exactly. 100%. And that's right? where like, God is also the things that I don't agree with. And that's the creativity, the unlimited creativity of the universe of putting all different types of people with all different types of likes and dislikes and opinions and beliefs and every other thing you can imagine. Yeah. And that's, you know, here, like, at one point, I was atheist. So, like, when I was 17, 18. I've walked I, up to the line, I mean, at least a few times. I don't know how you cannot. Yeah, and and I actually read, you know, works of, like, Bertrand Russell. Like, uh, you know, he was a 
really highly esteemed mathematician, philosopher, and devout atheist. And I remember reading his books and just being like, ah, this guy knows what he's talking about. It's so true. Like, and so it was so funny to sit and watch this guy speak because the first, the thought that I had predominantly the whole time watching him, I was like, this is so adorable. (laughs) (laughs) He is very young too. Yes, you're right. I think that is part of it because we we always believe ourselves. <laughs> yeah. No yeah. matter how many facts we're missing, we're positive that we're right. Yeah. And also the thing is too, that like made me, it wasn't jealousy, but like to some degree, like I can't think you of the kind of like his it. confidence. Well, no, it's like, like he was confident. Yeah. And that, that ignorance is bliss type thing. Yes. Like, some respect like that was true like he's ignorant to this he so gives no he, fucks he gives no fucks like so he does have like a different lifestyle where <laughs> he has like a certain confidence about him but beyond that like it was almost like um it's like i don't know there's that saying like i remember my first beer you know and that's kind of how i felt where it's like yeah. Um, yeah. 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 I'm jealous of atheists because I've already gone through that process and I've taken the red pill and I can't untake it. So I'm at a, it was such a cool, like looking back at my life, going from that to who, who I am now, that whole process was a wild fucking roller coaster. And I can't be on that roller. I can't ride that ride again until, you know, maybe the next life or a thousand lives from now. And when I, play the hide and seek game again with, with myself, which is God and forget that. I. That's a wild thing. I, I want to say this because this is on my mind now. Um, the fact that we can be born into a life and forget who we are is one yes. of the most astounding things. It is like, like if, if, if I were to, you know, let, let's say right now, some guy just in your street, just ran down the street naked. He was wearing some crazy multicolored wig and he had, uh, he was launching fireworks off his back and there were bubbles everywhere or something like, you know, just some crazy thing. Like you would never forget that. You would never forget that. And it's like, how the hell can we we forget forget where we came from? Where we came from. Like we forget the substance that we are created um yeah it's like some people have past life memories and stuff and and i'm sure i could have some too and maybe i've had a couple and i just can't quite put put the pieces together but like do you really remember what happened before you were born no but i do absolutely love the people who do like those stories to me are absolutely fascinating because the reality is consciousness is a continuation and in the subconscious mind is such a, you know, like even just thinking about the subconscious mind will fuck you up. Cause like, imagine this, right? Every single song lyric that you've ever heard in your entire life, every book that you've read, every newspaper that's ever flashed across your eyeballs is stored yeah, just just flashy. You, didn't you even just read can't the access it, right? Like you just yeah. can't access it. Like I remember, I remember, like when I was learning about puberty and women getting pregnant, I just could not fathom like 
my body knows it's pregnant. Why do I have to pee on something? <laughs> like <laughs> it knows. Like my body knows that it's pregnant. How do I not know? Right. That makes no fucking sense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's like there's a being inside of you. <laughs> That's not you. There's a, another person in there. Yeah. <laughs> it just makes no fucking sense. Like, yeah, it doesn't. Like, human consciousness makes no sense. Like, the veil is so heavy. I know. And we're know. so clueless of all the magic that's around us. It's, it's, it's absolutely incredible and it's hilarious. And it feels uh, like a really bad joke. I'm definitely convinced that if there is like a God that is an entity and that isn't just all of creation, God definitely has a ridiculous sense of humor. Well, like, either way, because like we're, we're, we're all God. So like if you combine every person on the planet and in the universe into one thing, it would be like the biggest belly laugh of all time. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> That's who God whenever is. Whenever I God hear is. about conscious beings who don't experience laughter, like I feel like that is another one of the human, you know, like the there are certain gifts that we get to have in a human experience. And it is like what is laughter, right? Like it's us being taken by surprise by our own right. fucking selves. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like <laughs> laughter and humor, like they say like love is the highest and God is love and you know, um, I'm 100% for that. But I think beyond that, it's like, God's, it's just, it is a joke. Like, it is funny. And um, at the crux of it, like, humor has got to be, I would argue that humor is above it's love. It's way up there. Honestly, I've read, I've read studies about healing where because you're in such a state of letting go, right? It's like when you're belly laughing, you can't think about anything else. You're not thinking about your bills. You're not thinking right. about that your back hurts or that your right. friend betrayed you. Like you're just purely entirely in the moment. Right. And I think laughter is like, it's like almost such um, a letting go-ness. Like it's a letting go-ness. And it's also, like I said, it would be like above love. Like I think at the root of the universe would be just one big joke. Because, um, <laughs> just like a big know. booming laugh in the middle, <laughs> right? Because people like what? What are like the best things in life? You know, like uh, music's awesome, dancing's awesome, having sex, food, food, but, driving fast, amusement yeah, like, parks. Yeah, but fun at the end of the game, day, fun and games. <laughs> yeah, fun and games like playing sports, and you know, there's all those things, but. I think laughter, at least to, in my experience, like when you have those laughs where it's 100% genuine, it's really funny. Um, and <laughs> you especially know exactly what I'm thinking about right now. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yep. That's... That's what I'm saying. Like those types of moments. I feel like we have to tell the story and then we can yeah. end the podcast. All right. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. I know we're ending the story. Uh, I'll see if I can remember it. So one day Joey was telling me about this horrible dream that he had. And I think he was maybe watching some Jeffrey Dahmer of like the drill scene and the, you know, like all, all the craziness that he did. 
And in his dream, he was at the Home Depot and he said, why would I be at the Home Depot in my dream? And I was yeah, like, so I, uh, why okay, wouldn't so I, you be at the Home Depot in your dream? It's the murder supply warehouse. Yeah, exactly. So in my dream, I had Jeffrey Dahmer uh, and me and some other people had detained him. Like it was like we were police, but we weren't. Um, it's like a citizen's arrest. It was like a citizen's arrest, but it was strange. Like in my dream, we were police. We just didn't have uniforms on. And we got Jeffrey Dahmer and we're like, yes. Like, all right, like we got him. Like, and then for some reason it's like, all right, where are we going? And everybody's like, Home Depot. <laughs> and, it's, <laughs> and it's like, okay, we're at Home Depot. I don't know why we need to go here. And, and then also at the same time, we were police, but we never handcuffed the guy. And we brought him into Home Depot with us. And then I'm like looking around and I'm like kind of nervous because I'm like, dude, he's just like over there. Like Jeffrey Dahmer's just like looking at some lumber, like, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, is he going to get away? Like, what the hell are we doing? Anyway, I was telling this whole dream to Maria and she's like, you brought him to the place that has all the supplies he needs to murder people. <laughs> it's got the freezers. He's got the, the zip ties and the duct tape and the hammers and the chainsaws and the muriatic acid. <laughs> it's so murder funny. Like, warehouse. It should be called Murder Supply Warehouse. It should be called Murder Supply Warehouse. Because that's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is like the one-stop shop. Like, I never even thought about it until you brought it up. I was like, oh, holy like shit. Like, every murder documentary. I mean, seriously, like, every fourth episode, someone's in a home depot, like. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then and then what happened? And then he went to Home Depot. Home Depot. <laughs> yeah, that's. And here's a receipt that shows him yesterday at Home Depot <laughs> buying a tarp. <laughs> And rope. Like, he bought a tarp and rope and a Kit Kat. And apps. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's all there. Oh, my God. Yeah, he got, like, they even have Powerade there for him to rehydrate because he's, like, tired. Like, oh, God. <laughs> but, yeah, that was the, we, me and you laughed for, I don't know how long we Six laughed. Six months. Six <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. a while yeah it was probably six months ago yeah and we were just oh, oh my god. god yeah i always i mean honestly like when we have our normal just like friend calls like pretty much guaranteed that i'm gonna be like belly laugh like face hurting doubled over <laughs> probably crying <laughs> at least one point in the conversation something i know that funny i know i know and that's like that's like ugh, i live it for is that. I, I i do kind of feel like that is one of the enormous gifts from the universe that we forget to enjoy like we should be laughing every fucking day well and that's the thing like frederick nietzsche the philosopher said that he's like without music life would be a mistake and then i just thought about that statement and i couldn't agree more but then i was like dude there's without way more laughter there's way more things you can add to that list so it's the fact this is like 100% proof of God. Like the fact that we have love, the fact that we have music, the fact that we have dogs, the fact that we have cats and the fact that we have uh, laughter and, you know, like all and of murder these supply things. warehouse and murder supply warehouse <laughs> and chocolate. I mean, yeah, I know it's because these things exist, you know, life is there. You're not here people. to be tortured. 
No. I mean, well, sometimes it is torturing, but it's not like the but point there are break, of it. There are at least like some breaks in between the torturing. <laughs> like, you get <laughs> yeah. a few laughs here and there. <laughs> I mean, it keeps going. Like, that's the one thing I can say is like, you know, like two months ago, I had my best friend die. And uh, that's been really hard. And I've had just plenty of hard things in my life in general. I mean, that was like the most recent thing. And um, there's been plenty of grief in that and then plenty of you know that really was a challenging big one. it was i mean you were really close to it and it was a unique situation you know not every lots of people have lost close people but you found him and that you know it's just yeah you're allowed to grieve as long as it takes and i'm i know that you're spiritual enough that you probably already had the experience where you got to talk to him right it's like that's what oh, yeah. happens when you're very connected like the moment somebody dies like you have a little chat with them and you know that they're okay Oh, yeah. But then you still have to deal with like missing them in yeah. your human life and, you know, wishing that things would have been different and whatever. But I mean, you were really close to that and it's not going to, it's not going to heal overnight. No. And that's and that, okay. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. Like I'm, I'm here for it all. Like there's like a purpose, there's a rhyme and a reason behind all of it. And, um, you know, even after this next week, I'm going to have a great opportunity to heal. And I'm just trying to do my best and make sure that I'm holding up my end of the bargain with everything. Like I could die right now. And if I died right now, I would die knowing that I did my best. And yeah, like I wouldn't look back in regret. I wouldn't look back in shame. I would look back and I would know that I held up my end of the bargain, just like it says in the Bible, you know, like, uh, the letter from Paul or whatever. He's like, I, I fought the good fight and I've kept the faith. Like, and that's, that's been me the whole time. And it, you know, I don't even feel like I need to have, it's not like faith in God or like faith in good or anything like that, because it's I just, just like know, faith in the process. Yeah. It's like faith and faith in the process. Exactly. Like I know it's all for good. I know God is there. And, um, and who knows, like, you know, within the next year, uh, I could be faced with adversity like I've never seen before in my entire life. I'm not certain, you know, and all I can do is just keep fighting that good fight. And uh, and you I, might I, also be faced with like this or better, right? Like we always, yeah, I think that's the funny thing is that when we pray to God and we ask for all of our wish list, we forget to say, well, how about this or better? Because maybe I don't know what's best for me. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like your, your life can change in a blink of an eye for better or for worse. And yeah. at the end of the day, it's all for good. And I mean, that'd be pretty wild. Like to wake up tomorrow and you see, uh, aliens have made contact. They're actual, actually interdimensional beings sent from the realm called heaven. And they're here to initiate the process of transformation on planet earth from the old plane of existence of, of war and, and despair. And uh, we're just starting the renovation project of planet earth, <laughs> you know, like, and it's like, <laughs> we need a major res renovation. I, yeah, yeah. There's definitely, like some days, like I, I watch things and I'm just like, how is it so broken in such a massive, massive, <laughs> massive way? Like, and then how do I like take my mind back to, I only live in my world and I only worry about my world and whatever's going on out there doesn't affect me. Yeah. Yeah. 
because it really is fucked up. Like the more you look at it, you're just like, you know, there's, yeah, there's lots of room for our nervous systems to be in shock. And I mean, I know for me personally, I'll dial, you know, I'll, I'll watch hours of true crime. I mean, I recently heard a psychologist say that if you're comfortable watching true crime, it's because you're comfortable with trauma. Um, and so that was kind of just a, one of those reminders that like, oh, you don't need to hang, you don't need to keep hanging out there. Yeah. Absolutely. You already That's- know that stuff's going on. You know, the stories, it's not anything new. Right. And it's never going to end. Like, right. Like there's, there's, you could look on YouTube and try and watch every true crime thing that exists on Netflix, YouTube and podcasts. And it's, you can yeah. spend the rest of your life, waking life, trying to get through all of them and you'll never get through them all, you know, like, and it's the same thing with politics and stuff. Like I saw some stuff pops up in my algorithm, you know, um, about uh, different political issues. And it's like Hunter Biden's laptop and this. And and then people are like, and I start watching some of it. And then I'm like, oh, dude, this is, this is a rabbit hole. Like this is like where you get sucked in. And, um, and then it just kind of got to the point where I was like, I just, don't care anymore. <laughs> I love not caring about the news. That's my favorite thing to not care about. And people hate it. I know there are lots of people who think I'm like spiritually irresponsible because how can you be a spiritual person? I'm like, you want to see how? Click. <laughs> Very carefully. Like, it's not that hard. I mean, Jesus, like I got off the news in, in, in 9-11, right? And so yep. trying to get back into it. Like, I mean, I there were a few political um presidential elections where i got really sucked in and got really excited and i actually registered to vote one time but i just like the 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 overlying theme is it feels a lot more empowering to not give any fucks at all towards oh it's yep you just nailed it like and i love that that uh question it's like what's your favorite thing to not care about Yeah. Such a good question. You're like politics. Politics <laughs> and sports, but politics is definitely top. Sports is a close second. I love how you could have a favorite thing to not care about. Like I'm going to start <laughs> asking people that question all the time. Like, Hey, what's your favorite thing to not give a shit about? <laughs> That's you almost know? as good as switching algorithms with someone before you get to know them. Like, I need to see what you're about. Like <laughs> yeah, on the psychological side, like, yeah, it's where like are dating. you really? dating nowadays you like go on a first date and you're like all right we could talk YouTube to each other logins. and have an awkward conversation or you could just show me your youtube alg- algorithm and then i'll show you mine <laughs> we'll see if we mesh this like is the next phase of ai <laughs> yeah exactly just like comparing algorithms like if you're they're gonna have like an algorithm dating app where the like it just matches you with like another person who has it your has same, the same confirmation bias <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All the flat earthers are gonna get together. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's you like... know what? If we want to get rich, this is how we do it, Joey. We just need to find a developer. We're gonna create the dating app of the future. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, yeah, like oh boy, yeah, that's uh yeah, who knows what could kind of like watch it become like the next Facebook and we're like, we're like the news. We're going to be in an episode of the black mirror where we talked about this and somebody went out and did it. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, boy, oh my so- God. Well, this has been long overdue. I'm excited to hear about how your event goes. And definitely like whenever you feel like, okay, yeah, like I'm really noticing, you know, like that would be a good time for us to reconnect. You just decide like when you want to, when we want to. I mean, go. we can just, we'll, we'll just do, you know, as soon as the event's finished. Cause like, I'll just give, it'll be fresh in my mind and I'll just give a good recap and then, uh, yeah. And then it's, it's been fun. So like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Hope- I'm super excited for you. I know we both love Timothy Schultz's, um, winning the lottery, manifesting lottery winnings podcast. So I don't know, maybe after Dr. Joe, you're going to win your, you're going to manifest your lottery winning and I'll be here to observe it. I mean, let's, or maybe you'll just do it too. Like I'll, I'll manifest both of us winning at the same time, you know, like there's no, there's no end to what you can create. Like what is heaven on earth? It's a, it's abundance for all. And I love that quote, like, you know, uh, he took from abundance and yet only abundance. Oh, he took abundance from abundance and yet only abundance remained. Like that's what abundance is. It's infinite and it can be for, for everybody. And that's what I want to see. I want to see as many people as I can getting that abundance in their lives. Or you know, even just waking up to the fact that they already have it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like, yeah, just just feeling that you already are that person. And that's where, um, I don't know, there's just so much room to play. And it's like, yeah, it's like if you are that person and you re- you're like reach some state of enlightenment or something and then you just want to go out and play a scratch ticket just for fun or something, you know, whatever. Like, um, I think the whole point is, is for all of us to come together and create and try to create that heaven on earth where... Um, we get to look back on it all and just be like, Oh, we went through all of that stuff. And now we can appreciate, like, I think you were saying what the 2000 years of peace that we're, we're, we're owed. <laughs> we've been promised. Yeah. yeah. We've been promised. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, it's that time. So yeah, we'll, we'll get back together as soon as uh, I uh, finish the event and then hopefully uh, many more times after that. So. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on. It's been fabulous. Thank you for the belly laughs and the murder supply warehouse story. (laughs) 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 All right. All right. Have a good one. I'll talk to you later. Thank you for listening to They Might Be Toxic podcast. We truly appreciate your likes, subscribes, shares, and especially your time. We wish you safety, insight, and empowerment as you navigate your own healing path.